Heather's is great. Hey guys, what's up? It is week 229. Let's uh, dive into this because we got a bunch to cover. Uh, yeah, first up is from Arrow Video, and this is Death Screams. This is one of the handful of slashers that hadn't hit Blu-ray. There's probably dozens, but one of the ones that always kind of popped up. I actually had this sucker on VHS under the title House of Death. Uh, I had an alternate name as well. So uh, Death Screams. Um, was this one 82? I believe this one counts as an 82 movie. And this is kind of a regional. I, I would say it definitely feels regional. It's uh, by like a southern producer. He actually uh, was involved with the movie I covered last week, A Day of Judgment, which has this really kind of regional kind of quality to it. Uh, Death Screams kind of feels uh, similar. So I, I do kind of like the regional stuff, the uh, kind of independently produced kind of deal, if you will. And this actually shares a couple of the actors or uh, performers from A Day of Judgment. It actually has the old lady um, from Day of Judgment, the kind of crazy lady who's obsessed with her lawn. She plays kind of a grandmother in this uh, to one of the main characters. I, I really like her in this movie. She's got kind of a mouth on her, is always saying kind of rude things about the townsfolk. And it also has the uh, the greedy businessman from A Day of Judgment as the town sheriff, who's uh, <laughs> not a great sheriff uh, in terms of um, uh, basically investigating things. And you'll actually hear the Hysteria Continues guys make a joke about that, saying probably the sheriff that is the worst when it comes to investigating crimes. So uh, Death, uh, Death Screams opens up with one of the weirdest kind of deaths. It's almost like uh, on VHS you're guaranteed not to know what the hell's going on, probably because it was pitch black. Um, these couple are having uh, sex on what it appears to be a motorcycle around this train, and uh, something's wrapped around their neck, and they're kind of strangled. The bike goes over the cliff, and they land in the, the river, which kind of plays into some of the stuff happening throughout the entire movie. You kind of see them floating down the river naked, which is, I don't know if it may be a bit of black humor, but I, I enjoy that little aspect aspect of the movie. So then we kind of follow a group of friends and there is definitely some, you know, this town has a past and everything kind of uh, there, there is a tragedy at one point, but you have a lot of the similar uh, tragedy mentioned that definitely is going to play into the ending and the characters and everything like that. But you have some of the familiar kind of just people in the town. There's a group of kids that like to party. A couple of them are way too old. Uh, then you have kind of like the quiet girl who doesn't have a who doesn't have her parents around, and you know she's being taken care of by a grandmother. We have the lazy sheriff uh, who's actually really kind of fun in this movie, and then uh, we have like a new teacher that's in town or. Um, He's not new, but he, he kind of like coaches the softball. So there's a slew of characters. And you really get to know these characters because like 25 minutes of the movie takes place in this kind of small town, um, like Carnival. And I, I kind of like the aesthetic of that. I like the small town kind of feel of it and everything like that. But literally like 20, 30 minutes of this movie is like a bunch of people just kind of having fun at the carnival and you're learning all the characters and whatnot. Um, now, a lot of people will consider that a negative. I don't really. I enjoyed myself. Um, but there is some fun co dialogue here and there. It, it's, at points, I literally was like, "What is? Go why are we still here? Um, and then the film kind of focuses on, there's some relationship stuff going on, obviously, but um, it focuses on the kids kind of going out for one last party. And at first they're around the water and there's a couple kills kind of picking up here and there. 
And then we kind of end it in a cemetery, which with the last 15 minutes or so, they cram in all the kills. So it is kind of slow paced for as, as far as slashers are concerned, especially in the kill department, because I know people are always kind of uh, complaining about the pacing in slashers, either killing all the characters too soon or too late. And this one's definitely a latter deal. But uh, they actually have a high kill count, which surprised me because literally there's about 10 minutes left in the movie and people just start getting picked off left and right. Um, the the ending of the movie had me uh, a- absolutely cracking up because there there's a point where uh, I and slight spoilers for the next ten seconds or so where the final girl finally just freaks out when there's the reveal of the killer and everything's said and done and she says why and the sheriff's just like I don't know and you're just like <laughs> he just his whole demeanor of it I don't know like he doesn't really give a shit at all but it, it just kind of cracked me up uh, I, I like I said the grandmother is my favorite part she has a lot of kind of you know snark comments especially when she's uh talking about her uh talking about the townsfolk and talking to one of her friends um as far as the features are concerned there, there's a decent amount there's two commentaries one of which has um some of the original filmmakers it has the producer and the special effects artist and it's moderated by phil smoot if i'm not mistaken phil smoot actually directed a couple movies of him uh from uh from 1985 or alien oh geez i it's it's gonna be trouble i actually watched them uh, a while back dark something uh dark force dark force i think and then he also did an alien kind of sci-fi deal um I, I believe that's the same guy and then there's also an audio and they, they kind of laugh at the movie a real they, they remember people and kind of uh relive down memory lane and phil smooth was involved with uh the production company a bunch of their movies so uh yeah there's that aspect and they kind of joke a little bit about the movie and everything like that and then there's a commentary by the hysteria continues um, everybody knows them. They have a horror movie podcast that covers uh, slashers. And then we have all the fun of the scare, the making of Death Screams. And this has a bunch of people involved, producer, special effects artist, writer, uh, some actors. And I actually really enjoyed this one. Uh, it, it was pretty fun hearing them all talk about it and reliving it and everything like that. And of course, they're very surprised that people even remember the movie or, or want to see it on Blu-ray. Um, yeah, and then there's an uh, House of Death alternative VHS openings and two versions of the screenplay under the original title, Night Scream which is uh, also another movie uh but yeah i um i know there was some controversy about the cover art um i think people were asking why in the original cover arts um it was actually a male uh being decapitated and it was changed to a female and people were just kind of wondering why and it uh just kind of turned into a big old uh social media fight and everything like that i honestly didn't even register the difference it'd been so long but i after i saw it i was like oh yeah i guess they did change that but this is a really cool slip cover i guess i would prefer the original there is a reversible but um it's not going to make or break the movie for me anyways so anyways that's death screams uh kind of um I enjoyed myself. Like it has a small town feel, and the ending uh, just it just kind of wrapped it up in a point where it was like this is ridiculous, but I enjoy it. Oh, I should mention that the movie has a, a explicit amount of nudity. And like I say about slasher movies, if you're not going to be the best made slasher movie, which most of them aren't best made slasher movies, you should try to incorporate some nudity or some kills. And although they lack on the kills until the last 15 minutes or so, they don't lack on the nudity. Um, I should also mention the obvious red herring character of the mental. Uh, unstable guy who's just kind of running around and being weird we have that character he's also interviewed on here as well but uh yeah this is death screams aka house of death and i'm, I'm really happy to have this on blu-ray really cool stuff 
Okay, this next one is from Cauldron Films. It's a relatively new label. They've this is uh what their fifth or sixth release, and this is the La Possession of Altor, nineteen seventy four, and uh, this is kind of a found footage film. Uh, and it, it's kind of uh, unique in, in a couple ways. Now, this is a found footage movie that's on Super 8. Obviously, they didn't have uh, the digital or whatever SOV in 1974. So it is this found footage, Mexican found footage movie. Um, made in, I believe, 2012 is the date. Um, maybe I'm mistaken on that. But uh, yeah, so it's got a couple unique things going for it. I don't know if I've ever seen a found footage movie on Super 8. Well, I can't recollect off the top of my head, but I know, obviously, Cannibal Holocaust was a found footage movie about actual shot on film. So, uh, all right. So, yeah, this one, it, it does have kind of the same things that you would have with any other found footage. The questions, why are they continuing filming? Why is this? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And you kind of have to forgive it. Uh, so, basically, this newlywed couple that is fairly likable. I think the female is a little bit more likable than the male. Um, probably because he's shoving a camera in everybody's face for a long period of the movie, and that probably can get a little annoying. Uh, so, essentially, they move into this house, and uh, very quickly, she starts to act kind of strange, and she's doing all these bricks, of these black bricks on the walls, and uh, she he calls in a friend, and, and it starts to escalate. And, and in the beginning, they have some really crazy, weird kind of, like, uh, news footage and stuff kind of mixing in, or maybe, like, even possibly older found footage kind of deal stuff. So, uh, as it goes on, you kind of have an idea of what the hell is happening. It starts to get really creepy. There seems to be time lapses and disappearances and everything like that. And I really feel like it's unfortunate like I can't talk too much about this movie without completely spoiling everything about it as far as the aesthetic is uh, is concerned it looks really good I mean Super 8 has a unique quality about it and it adds an aesthetic of creepiness I know that Sinister would kind of use Super 8 style stuff although a lot of people complain that they're zooming in on Super 8 and all that kind of stuff which is not exactly accurate how Super 8 would work or how easy the cameras are to work back then um, and, and like I said the, the complaints that would be brought up is why are they continuing filming although every there's a reason for all these so you kind of have to just kind of forget that or just not enjoy yourself at all uh there is points in this movie where the male character just turns out to be an absolute moron but then again if we if they weren't morons we probably wouldn't be seeing this in the first place but it's just the idea with the dog leaving it outside in the wilderness at night and the puppy it's like oh i can't believe you're that fucking stupid like right then i was just like this guy's trash bags hoping he'd die right from there i know that's a little bit harsh but this is a movie so i can have these feelings it's not like i'm wishing someone real death but uh, as it progresses it starts to kind of unfold and we get a little get a little a little bit more of the story and as that happens it got a little bit more interesting to me and by the end the end reveal was worth the uh, price of admission i was like oh shit that's what we're doing and you kind of fall into it going two different ways um and like i said i don't want to spoil everything necessarily some of the action happens off camera but some of it's there and and the reveal is, was really good. It makes it kind of an okay movie to a pretty decent movie. And uh, I enjoyed myself. And I had seen way worse found footage movies. And the idea that this is a Super 8 found footage movie. Yes, it's a gimmick within a gimmick for some people. But um, it adds a, an element that is different and enjoyable. And that is Mexican. It is a foreign element too. So there's a lot of kind of things in here that uh, kind of kept my interest. So anyways, I enjoyed this one. Um, the Possession of Altor, 1974. I believe that's how you say her name. That's the character's name and everything like that. But uh, again... Again, it's not exactly um, the most 
um, amazingly different movie, but there's a couple things about it that make it worth noting and make it a little bit different. So I would check it out for sure. Uh, the sound design is really good. There's actually a little featurette, three minute featurette about the sound design. As far as the rest of the special features, there aren't many, but uh, I, I would check this one out. I thought it was pretty good. Cauldron Films uh, had put out some other kind of strange films, and I think these are these uh, new two newest releases are more modern than a lot of their other stuff. They usually kind of seem to focus on a lot of Euro horror and stuff like that, which I love. So, anyways, uh, yeah, this one we're checking out. Okay, this next one here is also from Cauldron Films, and this is their sixth release, and this is uh, the Collingswood Story, and uh, this is from 2002. So, an, so an early kind of found footage style movie, and uh, yeah, um, I, and I'm I'm hot and cold on found footage. Like everybody's like, for a while they were hating on it, but then they realized that there, although there was a lot of bad found footage movies, there is quite a bit uh, of excellent ones too. And when they're good, they're usually pretty strong. Kind of kind of in the same vein as a zombie film, right? Like there's a million zombie films. But um, there, there is some real gems in the zombie genre, even if there's a lot of trash or easy, cheapy ones. But uh, the Collingswood story, uh, yeah, this one had a reputation. It was kind of one of the early ones, uh, earlier ones. I mean, I'm not going all the way back to like Cannibal Holocaust or anything like that. But I mean, a after the Blair Witch, there was uh, there wasn't as many as people would think that came out um, after the Blair Witch Project. That kind of later happened with Paranormal Activity and everything like that. Then there was a slew of them. But as far as this one is concerned I, I was actually really happy with this it, it's um obviously the technology is going to be very dated and not exactly accurate um but maybe it is for the time i can't remember it, everything so it takes place in 2002 and it's almost done completely on the internet uh kind of with like laptops and computers and the little uh um you know basically skype kind of calls but in 2002 so uh, there's really only four characters in the entire movie, and we have two kind of principal characters. Um, these two are kind of uh, long distance dating, and they have you know, uh, and they have kind of a shaky relationship because of it. Um, different colleges and everything like that, getting out of a small town. But uh, one day, the boyfriend kind of orders the girl this weird kind of occult reading or something like that with um, you know this kind of psychic online, and uh, she calls it, and everything goes through, and and the lady seems to know some things she probably shouldn't know just from a basic call and everything. Thing. So it kind of opens up the floodgates to be kind of strange. So the boyfriend calls her and, and starts to reveal something about the area that the girlfriend has moved to, Collingswood, and uh, it has a dark past and the psychic could read that and everything. So they start to kind of unfold, unravel this mystery. And I think that the best kind of found footage movies like this have some sort of mystery element to them. And uh, the director, Koji Shasharari, See, here comes more pronunciation problems. Uh, Shari Shashi, or whatever the hell his name is, who did a record for Sweet Murder, Occult. But more importantly, uh, Nilroy, The Curse, which is a found footage movie that has this mystery behind it. And that's kind of the center of it. And I would say this one is is, is as well. And it was made three years before Nilroy, so that's very cool. Um, and, you know, Blair Witch kind of has the mystery element, too, trying to figure out exactly about the Blair Witch and kind of dispel these myths and everything. But uh, as, as they start to dig deeper, they they look into the town history and they're both kind of doing their different parallel research and, and everything like that. And you're as a, as an audience member, you're learning a little, a lot more details and they start to like rely on the psychic more. And she's kind of playing like a double agent. It gets very strange and kind of weird. Um, as it, as it turns out, uh, this movie ended up being genuinely creepy and it also predates VHS uh, with the segment there where we have that kind of element of someone with the laptop and all that stuff going on. So, I mean like this is, 
it's it's way ahead of its time for what it is, I would say, and it's very effective. Um, the small town feel that they they capture even through the laptops and everything when she takes it, she goes around the town. We have it around Halloween, so we have the the leaves everywhere and all that kind of stuff, which I really enjoyed, and the Halloween decorations up. Um, yeah, this this one was actually a, a pleasant surprise, and uh, it, it shows that you can kind of make a uh, just a four hander movie with four people on a low budget and. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think it's really cool, and I think it was kind of a special found footage movie. Like I said, I if you can get me in through like a mystery or element or something like that, I am I'm I'm gonna be invested. But yeah, check this one out. Uh, there's some special features on here as well behind the story. Sophie D interviews, uh, Johnny Burton and Grant Emmons interview, director commentary, all that. Um, they did kind of show a little bit how it was kind of done with the director basically doing all the uh, lines off camera for and feeding the people lines and everything, and then they would go through and do the sound and and cut all that in and everything that was interesting anyways uh check this one out uh both interesting titles from uh cauldron films if you could only grab one i would go with collingswood i think it's a more interesting movie um and i i was really happy with finally getting to check it out and i don't think it had really a, a wide release, um, at least for years. I, I never saw the thing to purchase or anything like that. Maybe there was a DVD or VHS at some point, but I was never um, uh, properly around it or saw it anywhere. So anyways, it's nice to have it on Blu-ray. Okay, this next one here is from On Earth Films, and this is from 1988. Uh, this is Evil Dead Trap, kind of an infamous Japanese movie. has some really crazy things in there, and I have not watched this one since the DVD days. Synapse uh, put this out on DVD, and I think that's exactly when I saw it, and I never had a chance to rewatch it. Um, so when I saw On Earth was putting it out, I was uh, relatively uh, hype on it because I remember enjoying the film. Um, I remember it being like a mixture of all these different horror elements and, and all that kind of stuff, but somehow still being original enough to be kind of amazing. So aesthetically, uh, the, the commentaries on here are pretty good. I mean, they have like the, uh, the people involved with the film in one commentary, and then they have a, a kind of a Eastern kind of film historian. And then they have my personal favorite commentary, which I absolutely adored. They had the director of Karate Kill and Gun Woman and uh, Blind Samurai on here. And he, he's really educated in film. And I bring up these um, commentaries in the, right in the beginning of the review before talking about the movie because I probably reference a little bit of what um, uh, I, mis I will mispronounce the director's name from Gun Woman. Uh, reference some of the stuff he said and how it uh, kind of was, I, I, I agree with it and some of it I see, some of it I didn't see. So it was really eye-opening experience for the movie as well. So anyways, Evil Dead Trap. Uh, yeah, this one has such a great catch. It, it grabs you right away. Um, it follows this group of like reporters that do this special kind of show where I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's definitely kind of a journalistic show where they go and kind of investigate strange things. Um, again, reminds me of No Roy. That's the second time I brought up No Roy. Um, so they end up, which is probably was inspired by Evil Dead Trap to a certain extent. Um, so they go to this, uh, they get this tape, which appears to be some sort of strange snuff film. It's really graphic. It's really weird. Um, almost immediately, the uh, female uh, lead reporter is is very intrigued by it. Um, she she feels like it might be real. Um, the tape also shows in directions how to get there. It's kind of like a, a driven, like you drive and show up to this kind of abandoned, what appears to be like old facility with gates and everything like closed off. And so they have an idea where it is. But the the thing that's shown, the weird snuff film is very graphic and eyes poked out, obviously a reference to Fulci and stuff like that. But um, the entire thing was uh, like a big reference to the guinea pig films. Um, I, I saw that for sure. Um, and the way that the tape is sent to them reminds you of David Cronenberg's Videodrome. So it has all these kind of elements 
elements going on, and you're just like, okay, we so we already have some Cronenberg, and we have some Fulci right off the bat. Um, aesthetically, um, that uh, Gunwoman director mentioned stuff like it looking like a lot of Gialli, like Argento and stuff, and I, I can definitely see that. Um, the camera work is also kind of different and unique, um, and I just have a, a, a fondness for how Japanese films look in, in general, especially pro probably not, I don't know when the kind of aesthetic for me kind of ended, but I remember watching a lot of the 2005 movies, even the cheaper stuff. I, I kind of just like their aesthetic. So uh, I just really like how this one looks. It looks great. Um, so they get to this uh, location and it's, it's uh, a group of reporters and it's, it's really strange, like obviously very strange, but pretty soon uh, the, the lead here meets up with this strange guy and um, he, he's kind of mysterious and and all these kind of horrible things are happening. There's this guy who's been chained up that's really stalking the premises and they start to get picked off. But they get picked off in the craziest ways. It's almost as if the killer is not there, that he has some sort of psychic problem similar to Taurus Trap. But, uh, and you can tell like stuff watching this, you can see like how it influenced stuff like uh, Saw with some of the traps and that the characters set and some of the gore gags and stuff like that with the uh, spikes coming out and everything. Um, but there's just some really good uh stuff like that the traps and the gore set pieces are, are top notch um the movie has its real mean streak and brutality with kind of a rape that's kind of uh obviously unpleasant but uh the score is also something that you would note it's obviously italian inspired very memorable plays throughout the entire movie really enjoyable at the same time then like it even gets to the crazy point where you start to see some like body horror but it plays more like a, a larry um uh, Larry Cohen body horror, if you know what I mean. It's just a batshit crazy movie that just, the one thing it is, it's a little long in the tooth where it has like three or four endings. It feels like it ends several times. Um, but all in all, I love the location. I love the aesthetic. I love the camera work, uh, the score. It's just a really cool, unique movie that um, it wears its influence on its sleeve, but it also is heavily influential, if that makes any sense. Uh, uh, like I said, uh, Cruanda, or however you say the director's name i'm terrible with names i'm obviously terrible with pronunciation skills as well i'm a, I'm a duller guys but uh he he mentions how this uh actually um when they interviewed a lot of the uh japanese directors that had made a lot of the movies um and they asked their inspirations they would always be like oh well, it's argento and falchi and carpenter and all those guys but they would say one japanese director um or one film from japan and it was always evil dead trap which uh it goes to show that and you could see it you could see this one obviously would carry on and other stuff and, but there is that quality that kind of like uh, voyeuristic or journalistic uh, quality a lot of the movies I know that Sato has that in his movies like Celluloid Nightmares um not to be confused with AKA Muzani celluloid nightmares, a different celluloid nightmares, I think made actually the previous year. So there's definitely all that kind of stuff going on. And, but that stems from peeping Tom with a knife on the camera that's in here. So like all that kind of interesting stuff and all these movies kind of being inspired by each other and being inspired by other things. It's just like a long list of horror films. That's why it kind of drives me crazy. When these are all ripoffs. It's like, everything's a ripoff okay the second somebody made a movie they were they're ripping it off like i <laughs> almost everything right it genuinely feels as inspired or went on to inspire you know just because it is inspired by several movies doesn't mean it can't be original at the same time and i would say the evil dead trap is you know kind of the the um you know the 
poster boy for that. Um, but yeah, this, this is a really cool film. It looked really good and sounded pretty good. I mean, these movies don't always have like the biggest budget or, you know what I mean? Like, and stuff like that. But I was pretty happy with, uh, the look of it. Uh, it definitely looked better than the DVD from my uh, recollection. Um, yeah. And besides that, there is, uh, some storyboards as well. And then there's the trappings of dead reflecting on a Japanese cult classic, um, which I like seeing. And I believe that actually involves, uh, um, Callum Waddell, who directed the, um, the geez, the Cat Three uh, documentary on the old Told story, which I absolutely loved, and he does a pretty good job of you know bringing up references, and he actually tells this funny story about trying meeting David Cronenberg and wanting to ask him about seeing Emmanuel in America, the Joe D'Amato movie, which has that early found footage kind of snuff stuff. He wondered if that inspired Videodrome. Um, so the the inspiration, being inspired, and influential cinema from years past and, and future, it just never ends. There's a long kind of rabbit hole of that of of filmmakers being inspired by filmmakers and everything and carrying that kind of on as uh, far as the uh, evil dead trap there are some super memorable visuals in the movie especially at the end when we have that kind of sparkle in the room and the multiple tv sets and the, it's just a really cool weird movie that i would highly recommend people check out um on earth's been doing really good work especially with some of their classic line which i'm very excited for and i am very excited to see a lot of these asian films get these re-releases and, and revisiting them because a lot of them uh, either hadn't caught or watched and um some of them i'm just revisiting and being like oh yeah this is great sometimes you, you wonder why you watch new movies when you just want to go back and watch a bunch of old ones you already seen and just relive how great they are so yeah check this one out good stuff okay this next one um get your pervert cards ready guys i don't even know if there's a trailer or, or <laughs> clips i can use for this one but this is star of david Beautiful Girl Hunter, or Hunting Beautiful Girls, I think is an alternate name. This is in Akatsu Erotic Films. Uh, yeah. Boy, oh boy. Um, it's so strange with these movies. Half the time I pop one in, and I'm like, that was a little bit more tame than I thought it was. And the other half the time, I'm like, that is literally the sleaziest, trashiest thing I've seen in a year and a half. Um, White uh, Rose Campus, then everybody got raped. I was just like, my jaw had fallen on the ground how sleazy that was. And this was another one. This one has, um, you know, kind of a following for sure. There was a DVD release years back. Uh, I can't think of the company. I, I remember picking it up. Um, and I obviously never watched it. It sat on the shelf for years. So again, I'm super glad that the Blu-ray pushed me to finally check this one out. Um, this is, uh, by the director of School of the Holy Beast, um, and I think he did another one, another kind of bigger title, but, uh, it's based on a manga, I believe, and, uh, yeah, this movie is crazy. Sorry about that. So in the very opening, we have this uh, graphic rape scene of this criminal kind of uh, on the run. He breaks into this well-off family's house and he ties him up. And I was like, this is pretty typical Nakatsu stuff. Uh, then he rapes the wife. Um, years down the line, she has a kid. Um, the father has a real hatred towards him because he believes that that is not actually his kid. It's actually the criminal rapist's kid and everything like that. So he has a, a hatred towards him. He actually really despises his wife for the entire thing too. So he ties her up in bondage and beats her and he's just an awful piece of shit. So, um, as this young man gets older, um, and his father had recently died, he inherits everything and he's kind of going to school and he is not right. Now, whether if it's definitely a 
a nature nurture on both parts because we're going to have to take that his father was the rapist, but then his his uh, actual like you know adoptive father, I guess not really adoptive. It's a crazy situation, but his father that took raised him was also an awful person, maybe even worse. So we have these kind of two things going on at once. Um, he's all by himself, and he starts to be infatuated with Nazi stuff, hence the title of the film. And he starts to kind of go out and do his own hunting and bringing these women home and raping them. Uh, not always murdering them, but he starts to murder some here and there. Um, there is a real crazy scene in this movie where my I was just like, I can't believe that this is happening. Where he, so spoiler here, I just have to get this across to see, to let you guys know what you are watching. Um, so he's having a housewarming party at, a, um, and so ever, there's a bunch of guests, and he has this woman in the basement who he's been raping and, and beating and everything. His, his father's kind of torture dungeon that he had installed in his house. Every house is incomplete without one, right? So um, he, he goes down there, and he, he had raped her previously, so he cuts her throat, uh, so blood's, co he's covered in blood and then proceeds to have sex with the dead body and then he goes upstairs and showers before anybody notices he's gone and he's like now i have the perfect alibi he literally just killed and raped this woman and then had sex with her dead body or killed her um then had sex with her dead body rinsed all the blood off and went up there and he's like now i have an alibi and it's just completely insane but the movie progresses it gets even weirder where he has this uh lifelong like friend that was uh the daughter of his dad's best friend and they have a relationship relationship and there's also this weird kind of messed up stuff where he's kidnapping this virginal girl and and like beating her and changing her like uh and, and stuff like that and he's he's just kidnapping people and trying to change their mentality into this submissive stuff and it's just really fucking wrong but uh it, it gets really crazy when his father makes another appearance and everything like that and they kind of meet his real biological father and everything like that uh, this character is an absolute monster there is there's a lot of rapes in this movie a lot of you know graphic sex scenes and everything like that but uh, I, I would lie and um, I'd be a liar if I said I wasn't entertained uh, so get your pervert cards out you're gonna need it it's really really gnarly stuff in here so yeah it, it mentions contains vivid torture sequences eye-popping sexual imagery and violence situations that may be too extreme for some viewers you have been warned um yeah it visually looks great too there's lots of good iconography and stuff like that um there's obviously a, a thing with religion here and it's just a tragic movie at the same time as being repulsive um really would recommend checking this one out if you're into this sort of crazy japanese cinema i enjoyed myself um it was a well-made piece of smut that uh also has these artistic elements to it but uh if you're into these nakata movies this has got to be one of the creams of the crops that i've seen um it's probably i don't know if it's the best of the bunch that i've saw I, I would say it probably is i mean like um what was the other one uh uh snake uh geez it's it's one of the big titles too i'm getting old i can tell i'm getting old. flower and snake that one is also pretty pretty extreme and, and good and that had like sequels and that had a remake that had a bunch of sequels so that one's carried on a huge legacy as well so um get this one if you are a disgusting pervert like me, you gotta have Star of David hunting beautiful girls or girl, uh, beautiful girl hunter. And, and if you don't, I don't know what you're doing with your life. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, you still got your pervert card out from the last movie. Keep that in hand. You're going to need it for this next one. Um, and I don't even know if the pervert card can help you on this one, to be honest. So this title is The Rape of the Virgin Girls. 
That is such a classy title. You, you know, you know, I would expect absolutely nothing trashy in a movie like this. Um, so welcome to the world of Brazilian exploitation. I know that a lot of the modern South American movies don't take shit. Uh, some of the Argentinian ones, or like if you watch Trauma or Hidden in the Woods, I'm just like... Oh boy, these are these are um, these are fucked up. Or we are the flesh, or we are what we are. The, the original version, like the, the latter two, I would say the last one is not as messed up as those other ones. But I remember actually being kind of shocked by trauma <laughs> and stuff like that, and hidden in the woods. I was like, I can't believe these are going there. So I can see where their roots are in stuff like Rape of the Virgin Girls. Now those movies are more extreme in the in the graphic nature and violence. This one is uh, uh, just uh, just a. Uh, exploitation movie. Um, let me just read part of the back here so to get you where you're at. Um, from the late 60s to early 90s, Brazil's popular cinema saw the rise of sexploitation movies known as uh, porno chachangas. They were mostly sex comedies but included other popular genres like horror and crime. Os uh, Violentores del Mendoz Virgins, Rapist of Virgin Girls, belong to this latter category, and it brings with it all the classic ingredients of this kind of cinema. Beautiful girls, nude scenes, gratuitous violence, and a lot of fun. Um, that really should be in parentheses uh, and a lot of fun um, because uh, uh, boy, oh boy, this movie is relatively short on the back. It says an, uh, 118 minutes. It is not 118 minutes. It is a hundred is an hour and 18 minutes. So, you know, we got that 78 minute uh, mark and uh, that's a good time. This is a DVD. It's not been remastered in like HD or anything like that. I don't know. I, I remember recently hearing that the, the Brazil film kind of uh, where all the Brazilian films are kept has, has actually suffered a fire and a flood and all that kind of stuff. And there's no real access to it for filmmakers. So I don't know if, if they had access. This is a 1-7 uh, movie uh, release. So I'll let you guys know. They released some sleazy stuff and some different kind of Italian Euro horror stuff. Anyways, Rape of the Virgin Girls is as advertised. Um so what we have here is a criminal organization going around and they're kidnapping virgin girls. They're selling them to older men. They're having these weird sex parties. They're all raping them and then they're killing them, disposing of the bodies. Uh, the cops are on the case. There's a bunch of people on the case. One day, um, this... Um, these kind of laundromat, uh, these people that run a laundromat, uh, the neighbor, one of the neighbors was kidnapped and raped and murdered. They found a button on the crime scene and he, he thinks, well, this is the only laundromat in the area, so I'm going to look for the nice jacket with the missing button. I'm going to find out who the hell these rapists are. I'm going to try to stop them. He ends up figuring it out. He follows them. Um, he's non-successful. He's unsuccessful in trying to stop them. He gets beat up. Um, and then uh, basically his family and friends are going to have to pay for what he's done. Uh, this guy looks kind of like Vince and Price, but he's like a blue-collar Paul Kersey at the same time. So, uh, as I said in my letterbox review, I said uh, the laundromat guy is the hero. He looks a little bit like Vincent Price, but he's a blue-collar Paul Kersey, which means he's not very good at his job, which means a lot, almost everybody in the movie gets raped. Because uh, Paul Kersey, you know, is as violent as he is in the Death Wish movies, he's preventing rape out there, right? <laughs> I love the Death Wish movies. Uh, pure exploitation fun. Not necessarily the first one, but the sequels for sure. Um, so, so anyways, and I see, there I go. I'm making fun of this movie for saying it had a lot of fun. And I just referenced the death wish movies that are filled with rape and violence. as a lot of fun. Hey, right. um, this one a lot sleazier than the death wish movies, if you can believe it. So, um, 
what happens is we, we see numerous rapes and kidnaps and just completely cheesy stuff in the same vein. And just like it stops for these sex scenes and everything, a lot of explicit nudity and everything. Um, you have points where they'll have, oh, we have a stereotypical homosexual character in here. You got to get that in there. He's absolutely over the top. All this kind of stuff that you would expect in an exploitation movie, except just in a Brazilian kind of way, which is pretty extreme um, and insane and totally fucked. Uh, so what happens is, uh, of course, this guy demands to get revenge and the whole movie like the first there's also some side plots with uh, one of the old man's uh, old rapist millionaire perverts uh, daughters kind of you know where this is kind of heading and everything like that but the very end of the movie there is kind of a struggle and of course uh, kind of uh, some come up at some people get killed but it happens in the last 10 minutes um with, you know, some people just getting shot and being like, oh, I'm falling in a pool and then some blood and everything like that. Um, the movie, like I said, extremely sleazy. It stops for new for, for like 10 minutes at a time to have these sex scenes and everything like that. And it's just unpleasant as shit. I was just like, I can't believe we're doing this. I can't believe this is in here. It's just a lot of rape. So if you're sure if you're into like a Brazilian exploitation movie and you kind of want to see what the ones in the 80s were like, then check this one out. I think it also has the abuser of the Virgin Girls is an alternate name on this one man this is sleazy stuff uh yeah a trashy sleazy dirty looking movie but also i feel like it has like an accidental not necessarily accidental comedic uh stuff that is accidental and on purpose so it even makes it more inappropriate if that makes any sense but uh yeah okay we have the patreon pick here and this i believe is a tom brooker pick and this is the crush made in 1993 starring alicia silverstone and uh geez i always forget that guy's name from the uh princess's bride and he's in saw uh geez i'm gonna have to cheat i can't believe i'm doing this usually i remember his name uh, Carrie Elds. It also has Jennifer Rubin from Nightmare on Street Part 3 and Kurtwood fucking Smith. I was very excited to see Kurtwood Smith pop up in this movie. I'm a big fan of Kurtwood Smith. Uh, obviously Robocop, but he's always great. Fortress, that 70s show kind of made him like uh, a household name as far as a uh, household face. I should say everybody knows who he is just by his face. Um, so the the crush. Uh, this t comes from those like early 90s thrillers where we have like the older guy interested in the young girl, whether he's the pervert or she's the pervert or the mentally unstable one you know which whichever one you know what i mean like who's the bad guy and then we have this with poison ivy um i believe the babysitter kind of had that element going on which I've actually not had a chance to see, but from my understanding, but Poison Ivy I have seen. I was well aware of that one with Drew Barrymore. So that, that's kind of what we have here. Carrie Ells works, he's a kind of a famous reporter. Uh, reporters are always like a go-to job in movies, right? They're like, oh, we got to get somebody that would be interested. I don't know. It's always there, especially in the Euro Jallies or something like that. So uh, basically what happens is he um, is offered to rent out this uh, kind of like, uh, this guest house, this cottage house next to this big mansion where Kurtwood Smith lives with his wife and their daughter is Alicia Silverstone. She's like 15 years old, 14, 15 years old here. Um, and what happens is um, uh, she she develops a crush right on Carrie Ells right away. Right, right off the bat, she's interested in him, kind of bugging him at first. And at first it seems kind of playful, but after a while it starts to get a little bit more serious, especially when Carrie Ells starts to date Jennifer Rubin. Um, his job is very high stress, and it, it's very funny because he's working on like a computer, and she starts to sneak in and mess with his computer and everything like that. Uh, yeah, so a as far as performances are concerned, Alicia Silverstone is fantastic in this movie. I absolutely believe everything she does in here. She just has a great uh, look about her and a great demeanor 
demeanor and seems genuinely like one of those kind of good 90s thriller kind of psychologically damaged people that we've seen a lot of. Um, Carrie Ellis is okay. Um, he, he never truly blows me away in movies, but he, he's solid in this one. Uh, Kurtwood Smith as the father is really effective, really fun. Um, they have this weird uh, subplot, not subplot, but there's a weird story point in there where um, he has this carousel that he built, uh, uh, he reassembled up in the attic. So it's like a full-size carousel and it's like the kind of shown at one point in the movie and you're like, I know exactly that carousel is coming in at the very ending. It's got to be a part of the the, the end set piece or, or what are we even doing here? Why, why even show it? It's such an easy setup and everything. And then there is a payoff, which was kind of cool. Uh, anyways, I thought this was really fun, really solid. Um, and, and it brings up the situation. If a young, if I, like a minor is obsessed with you and just tells everyone that something horrible happened, um, you're kind of SOL, which is an awful thing uh, to be in. And you're just like, well, oh, I don't even, you're just like, you're completely screwed. So it's like the best time, the best, it just shows you anytime something like that rears its head, get out of there right off the bat. Just be like, I'm done. I'm out. Right when she's like, ah, you're like, ah, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Uh, like that's, that, I don't think there was any way he could have uh, had this uh, come out on the, on the decent here. But uh, yeah, enjoyable. And they left it open for a sequel. Let's let's do it again. The Crush 2. Uh, anyways, enjoyable, uh, fun 90s thriller. Exactly what you kind of expect. As far as the special features are concerned, there was an interview. There's an audio commentary with the director. Uh, but there was an interview with Kurtwood Smith and Jennifer Rubin. Which I watched the Kurtwood Smith a little bit of Jennifer Rubin and and Kurtwood brings up that he was like uh, 80 art at a certain point he's like I don't it's just weird but um Anyways, always, always enjoy him. And Jennifer Rubin, man, I've only seen her in a couple movies, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and Bad Dreams. I didn't even register that was her until I saw the credits and everything like that. Um, so yeah, anyways, I've always enjoyed her in those other two movies. But um, yeah, she's solid in this one. Uh, there are some kind of dumb things at points where like you find out somebody's injured and then like they never show that person, visit that person in the hospital and you're just like, what the hell? Anyway, but it's just nitpicking stuff and the movie's like, it never to me is so diehard serious that I'm just like, I'm going to hold it to such a high regard or anything like that. But yeah, the crush. All right. Now we're going to hop into the 1970 movies. Now this is, um, I've hit a hundred. I hit a hundred 1970 watches. Not everything is strictly horror. A lot of it's horror adjacent. A couple are dark kind of dramas that I wanted to revisit. And I was like, well, maybe this, I haven't seen it a long time. Maybe it will fit, but uh, not everything is generally horror. I might still sneak in a couple more here and there. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I know I've hit my, my hundred, my goal was a hundred. I'm going to watch a couple shorts and I'm probably going to call it. There might be a couple next week here and there, maybe till we do the show on 22 shots, but yeah. Though sometimes beaten back, he came again and again against the enemy. Till at the end he came alone from the bloody field, for he alone could triumph. This was a Dracula deed. In President Nixon ordered American troops into Cambodia. He called it an incursion, not an invasion. It lasted for two months. The purpose was to destroy enemy bases and supply lines. At times, that mission was extremely dangerous. Marcus Welby, MD, and the Dick Cavett Show will not be seen tonight, so that we may bring you live cover coverage of the 42nd Annual Awards of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The Jimi Hendrix experience is over. The acid rock musician died today in a London hospital, apparently from an overdose of drugs. Headquarters in Washington, I'm Howard K. Smith. I'm Harry Reasoner in New York. These are tonight's headlines. 
Rail service across the nation is crippled by the continuing strike of the Railway Clerks Union. President Nixon meets with newsmen in his first nationally televised news conference since late July. Defense counsel says that Lieutenant Calley had orders from higher up to kill every living thing in July. And Secretary of State Rogers pledges that American troops will not be sent back into Cambodia. Howard? Reports tonight on the rail strike from Gregory. And after she let the devil fornicate with her, making the men impotent. Okay, so the first one up is more of a thriller. It is the lady in the car with the gun and the glasses. That, that's a freaking mouthful. And it, uh, who, who's it starring here? Um, geez, it stars uh, Samantha Egg, uh, Egger, who uh, was in The Brood, and Oliver Reed, who was also in The Brood. So yeah, this is actually before The Brood, and it's a movie they're both in together. So I heard about this one on the Pure Cinema Podcast, which is a great place to hear about new movies and discover some movies that you like yourself. Um, they had Quentin Tarantino on, legendary filmmaker, and he brought up this movie, The Lady um, with the Glasses, in the, the Lady in the Car with the Gun in the Glasses. It's a mouthful. And um, I know that this was a book beforehand. I know that it was remade in 2015. I have not seen those. But this is kind of weird psychological thriller type deal. He said it was Giallo-esque, so I was like, that's enough, 1970, for me to check out for the 1970 show. So I was happy to watch this one. Uh, it's hard to track down. The quality on YouTube is about the best quality you're going to find. Uh, he did mention that it was being remastered. The credits uh, look a little uh, zoomed in on, but after that, everything appears to be fairly normal. Okay, so we're going to hop right into this one. Uh, this kind of follows the story of uh, Edgar, who's like this uh, kind of like a secretary. She works, um, she's a hire kind of up secretary. Does some other things as well. Works for Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed has this wife who is a little bit uh, promiscuous. She sleeps around, that kind of stuff. Um, she's told one day that she's going to have to kind of type this thing up for Oliver Reed. It's kind of an emergency situation right before they leave for some sort of meeting and vacation. And uh, he doesn't have time, so she has to stay over the night and then drive them to the airport in the morning. She does that. She's supposed to bring the car back to a certain place. Um, and uh, after she's driving the car back, she's kind of almost immediately lost. She gets pulled over by a cop. And it's just all these kind of strange occurrences start happening where everybody is saying, well, you just drove through here or you were here, you left your coat. All this kind of stuff that gets to the point where she's attacked in a restroom and her hand is, is injured. And you're just like, what in the hell is going on? Where we start to hit this point where she's psychologically damaged. It reminded me a little bit and soon the darkness from 1970 where they're kind of like uh, the main character is kind of going backtracking her, her route on the bikes and trying to find her friend. Just in a little similarity in that kind of aspect. But uh, she starts this relationship with this guy and soon they realize that there is something in the trunk that they didn't want to be in the trunk. Um, and I don't want to spoil everything, but the last 20 minutes or last 20 minutes or so of this movie, like I was literally like, I don't know what the hell is going on. And then they literally say, we got you, we got you. And they, uh, they had this reveal and they explain everything. We're like, oh, oh. Um, I love Oliver Reed. I think he's one of the best actors of his time. Uh, he's good in this. He's solid in this. Um, and Jeremy was actually in another room at one point and he heard um, the movie. And he's like, is that, is that Oliver Reed? He, he recognized him by voice. So he's such an iconic voice. He's such a great voice. But uh, yeah, this is a good film. Good performances all around. Good reveal. Um, solid movie. I'd like to see it remastered. I think it would do a little bit of some, some favors and everything. Just looking better. and and Because uh, I imagine the cinematography is good. And the acting we know is good. And the music and all that kind of stuff is, is good. But um, seeing it on kind of a crummy VHS looking copy doesn't do it any favors. It doesn't do any movies any favors. I don't care what any of you guys are saying out there. This is what the director wanted 
wanted it to look like. He, he wanted it to look like somebody rubbed it on an elephant's ass and popped it in your video recorder. Okay, whatever you say, buddy. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah. So the lady in the car with the gun and the glasses. And remember, Oliver Reed's in advertising. Okay, so this next one for 1970 is... Yeah, it's from the Gamera box set. Or uh, is it Gamera? Or, uh, yeah, I always said Gamera. So we're going to go with Gamera. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, boy, oh, boy. See, so this is Gamera versus Jiger. Jiger. I've never seen any of these movies. As a little kid, I, I saw trailers for them on certain stuff, certain releases. And I've always had an interest in them. I, I liked the, like the Godzilla movies growing up and everything like that. But after I hit a certain point, I actually saw some of his movies in the video store. But I was a little older. I was like 13, 14. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I was more interested in like, uh, can I trick my mom and let me rent, make them die slowly or something like that. Um, I was already working on my pervert status at a young age. So I never really got to see any of these movies. I know that it's a long series. He's beloved, uh, but I, I wanted to watch this one for 1970. I, if if I had it my way, I would have got to watch every single one of them, but I did not. So I pop in this one, and this one is supposed to be one of the more cheesy ones from the series, from my understanding. Um, <laughs> um, the opening was really fun watching them kind of fight all these monsters that were probably from previous films. It appears that the director of this directed a lot of them. It seems like all he did was Gamera movies. Um so it has this theme music in there that's like uh, Gamera uh, shoots jet streams out of fire. He's so cool. Gamera, you're so cool and all this stuff. And I absolutely love the theme music in the opening. I was like, I love this. So Gamera is supposed to be a friend to the children, as they say. So he's supposed to be a good guy. Yeah. So in the very beginning, they're doing this uh, expo in Japan where they're getting all these kind of artifacts from different places and kind of showing it off. It's supposed to be a celebration of unity and whatever and whatnot. And they want to take this giant kind of totem what it is appears to be a giant totem kind of thing and uh this kind of uh guy from this country is like you guys don't want to touch this don't leave it don't take it, it it's there for a reason even gamera shows up to the the place where they're trying to take it and he tries to stop them but what happens is they take it they end up uh trying to move it towards the expo but right away this creature breaks out fairly quickly after they kind of remove it and he breaks out and he starts to fight gamera he's like this weird kind of um did i mention gamera is like this giant fire-breathing turtle or something like that with jet beams. That we use, I don't fucking know. But uh, this this creature comes out, and he's just like, I don't know. He's like this fat-horned, like, dinosaur dog. I don't know how he looks. So, of course, they start fighting, and right off the bat, he messes Gamera up. Um, Gamera's paralyzed, and this creature goes towards the town, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, he kind of, there's, there's more fights in there, and all oh, the townspeople, and the, them at the city, and everybody's worried about the expo being destroyed, even though people are dying, and the creature has this weird paralysis power, and he also is turning people into fucking skeletons, and there's some miniatures and all that kind of stuff, so you're like, fuck the expo, we gotta stop this damn monster, and it's so funny to me during this movie, everybody's like, we don't believe in these superstitious bullshit about that that totem and all this kind of stuff we don't believe in it it's like yet there's a giant flying turtle breath uh, like fire breathing and you guys are like we don't believe in any of these old stuff. it's like i'm gonna start believing in anything the second i see a giant turtle floating and breathing fire it's just like the time for shitting on superstition is over i know maybe this is a scientific thing but at this point anything is possible uh, so of course they have to try to figure out what this creature's weakness is they have some explorers enter i'm not yeah so 
some inner space style going on where these little kids have to go inside Gamera and save him from what the the Jiger monster did to him. Um, that's really fun. Uh, anyways, this is a lot of fun. This is super entertaining and goofy, and some of the fight scenes are absolutely corny looking and, and terrible, but uh, the theme music is a blast. It's kind of a good fun movie, I think, that you could watch with uh, some younger kids or fun, your family or whatever, you know. I enjoyed myself. Um, it is, uh, you can watch it in Japanese and English. I watched it in uh, Japanese, which was fun watching the uh, the white actors uh, for once having to be dubbed. I imagine they were dubbed uh, speaking Japanese and everything like that. And it didn't look nearly as bad as when the Americans dub over the Japanese, which always looks like shit. Um, for some reason, I just don't think the Japanese language translates to dubbing over very well. Maybe it looked like, maybe their dubbing looks like shit to the Japanese as well. Or maybe they're actually speaking Japanese. I don't know. Um, but anyways, I, I was entertained with this one. It was a lot of fun. Uh, enjoyable movie, Gamera vs. Jaeger. Okay, uh, the first 1970 movie kind of involving snakes um, out of two. There's two kind of snake movies here. So we have Devil Woman, and this is a Filipino movie, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, okay, so this one is dirt cheap, uh, kind of a weird flick for sure. Um, so what we have here is we have this kind of story in this village where there's this young girl. Um, she's kind of like shat on. Nobody likes her. She always wears this thing around her head. Her family's poor. Um one day, um, they kind of realize what's underneath her kind of thing, and it's like this cursed, weird snake thing where, um, I don't want to spoil it. You can see right on the cover, she's, she's fucking Medusa, all right? Anyways, uh, there's kids picking on her. They end up killing her family, burning down the hut. She leaves, and, uh, and then we kind of fast forward to modern time. There's this kind of like kung fu expert, uh, martial arts expert coming into town to help uh, this kind of rich guy. Um, and right off the bat, he runs into some local thugs and teaches him a lesson. He's a badass. He's almost as uh, um, super powered as the Medusa style lady. He ends up coming in here and falling for the rich guy's young, the, the girl who, who has a, a infatuation with him too. Um, this, uh, Medusa woman kind of moves into town as well. And she has the control over snakes. Um, and she starts to pick off the people that burn, that murdered her parents. And that's kind of the situation here. Um, there's a gang that, um, is, is of thieves. And then we have the kind of local gang as well. So these two gangs are definitely going to meet and they're going to have a common enemy. Uh, Medusa starts to run one of the gangs actually. So she ends up kind of manipulating the entire gangs with their snake power and, and their main focus ends up being this kung fu expert and everything like that. Um, yeah, she picks people off here and there, but uh, it, it just turns into like a lot of big fight scenes and everything and a lot of crazy stuff. When she's actually controlling snakes, her eyes change to a different color, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, this one was alright. Um, I thought it was kind of cool to watch a, a kind of a animal control movie because we had Willard that would come later and then we have, I believe, uh, Kiss of the Tarantula. I don't remember when that one came out. And then there's other stuff like Jennifer. I think she controlled snakes. So this, I mean, we have uh, Mako, Jaws of death we definitely have these movies where a person bonds with an animal stanley and then they control them and whatnot so this is before stanley i believe so yeah um the william Griffey movie uh but there is it's kind of a long line of series and movies this one has obviously kind of a um on a cult kind of thing with her you don't really know maybe she's cursed and everything anyways this is an all right movie there's some fun fight scenes and it's just kind of strange and bizarre the dubbing's really piss poor but uh, it's a filipino movie so you can kind of expect some craziness and obviously people were probably hurt on this movie but devil woman from 1970 
glad I watched it. You know, it was a little bit different from a lot of the other ones from 1970. All right, the next one from 1970 is another kind of snake-focused uh, uh, movie. This one is Italian. Um, and originally, Mondo Macabre put this one out. Unfortunately, that is out of print, or I would have picked it up. Um, it is on YouTube if you if you want to check it out, uh, probably illegally. But uh, yeah, so it is a snake god um, from 1970, of course. And yeah, this has uh, Beryl Cunningham in it which is the fourth frickin' 1970 movie she's in. She's also in uh, Death Occurred Last Night, uh, Dorian Gray, Weekend of Murder, uh, Weekend Murders, I mean, and this one. So she, I've seen this lady four frickin' times in 1970. She was super busy. So uh, what we have here is this... Um, this uh, this young beautiful woman. She's married to an older guy, and uh, she's kind of whimsical. You know, she does what she wants, and they're kind of like celebrating or living in this tropical area among a lot of like kind of superstitious natives, among kind of this like priest who's moved there as well, and uh, uh, Beryl Cunningham, who uh, used to be the uh, rich guy's secretary. They become friends and everything like that, and almost immediately she starts to become kind of interested in the local superstitious stuff and the religion, which involves snakes. One day she visits this island where she sees this boa constrictor that's not supposed to be there and they tell her this is a snake god that has showed an interest in you then you should have not have been there and not have seen it and everything like that and that kind of opens up the gates to this kind of stuff uh later at night she starts to have hallucinations and is visited in her dreams it's a very highly sexual movie um and of course tragedy strikes her husband dies um that's a minor spoiler and um she kind of has this weird kind of like religious kind of experience and starts to see like the snake god everywhere um, and all that kind of stuff. Um, there, um, besides that, uh, the location is beautiful. It, it's shot in a wonderful place. It's explicit in nudity and sex. So you never lose kind of your, your, um, your entertainment value there. Uh, the idea of the kind of religious stuff is interesting as well. And the superstitious and different kind of gods. I feel like that element is cool and you see some rituals performed and everything. Um, and then there's like a, a really cool ending. I like the ending. I thought the ending was very nice. Um, and you kind of just, they show you a lot of things with the kind of emblem she has just leaving that behind. I like that. Um, I thought this one was worth the time. I thought it was the, obviously the better of the two snake oriented movies. And this is a good movie. This is a good one. Um, uh, Italian flick and I'm glad I, I watched pretty much all the Italian flicks I could that had English subs or or were English friendly but uh, yeah good good one especially more of a you know an adventure uh, you know exploitation movie with a lot of sex but there is kind of that horror element just in the superstitious side of nature and everything like that uh, cool stuff the snake god okay so this is a third time watch for me I've seen this freaking movie a few times and it's still just as crazy as it ever was uh, I covered this uh, on the no more room in hell podcast with Derek B and Mike. I don't think Jerry was on that episode, but this is In the Folds of the Flesh. Uh, this is such a weird movie. People are like, it's a jolly. I don't know what the hell it is. Um, and it's an Italian horror thriller. Jolly. I don't know. This is the weirdest movie. Um, how do I go about this? Um, it, start, it does have that heavy set guy from the terrible Invisible Man movie from this year. He's also in a, some other things. You'll recognize him. He's a loud, kind of obnoxious guy in both movies. He's really funny in this one. So um, what we have here is this, um, the opening of the movie kind of is strange. Like, And the way it's done, you don't even know that there's a time lapse between that opening and like the, fi the, the, the next scene. But I, I, you eventually, you're like, oh, that must have been some sort of time lapse, I guess. So what happens is... 
um, we have this kind of escape criminal. She kind of he witnesses something very strange in this kind of isolated rich house. Um, somebody digging a body and sending off a boat. Um, and then we kind of fast forward years down the line, and we have this family living together. We have this um, what do they call her a governess? She's kind of taking care of the place because the original owner has died, um, and he was the father of this kind of this young woman who lives there, and uh, her son also lives there, and they have this really strange relationship. Everybody in this movie is suffering from severe mental trauma. They're all criminals. They're all monsters, and they're all weird as shit. As it goes on, that criminal that originally witnessed something, he returns, um, but not before two other people show up and are quickly dispatched by the family. They're claiming to be relatives of some sort. Um, on the on the island, they have like these, this isolated location. Not necessarily on. They have these two buzzards. Maybe it is an island. I don't fucking know. They have these two buzzards, and they have all sorts of weird shit going on. Uh, there's a lot of day for night uh or yeah a lot of day for night that's not particularly convincing but how many old movies have really great day for night not very many i'm sure there's some black and white ones that pull it off a lot better but that kind of earlier films that had day for night or low budget films just never really convincing to be honest um but uh, as it goes on, you start to learn more about the family. You get glimpses of a flashback, and, and more characters enter the frame and enter the picture, and you're just like, who the hell are these people? I originally thought this person was dead. They're not. The movie never never stops doing twist. It has this weird Nazi flashback that's obviously from a different movie that um, it kind of brings in the term of using the cyanide gas or whatever the gas they used in uh, World War II to kill the Jews was. So it's just like a, a smorgasbord kitchen sink of weirdness and insanity and crazy and psychological incest bullshit insanity it is far too weird to absolutely love for me i mean as it's too i love weird films but i guess i'll say far too inept in a lot of ways but also too crazy not to admire at the same time so i fall i like it i and the more i watch it i get it but it's just a twist and turns you're just like well why this happened why that happened and what what the hell is going on but at this point, I'm pretty sure I got what's going on. It's just weird as ever. Uh, Severn Films put this out on DVD. There is no Blu-ray. Uh, In the Folds of the Flesh has got to be one of the strangest movies of 1970. I couldn't. I had to rewatch it. I couldn't leave it on the table. Watching 100 movies, this has got to be one of them. Um, yeah, I know. I think that Derek is a bigger fan of this one, my friend Derek Bourgeois. Um, but listen to that. Um, I grew, I, I like it a little bit more than I used to, uh, uh, but yeah, this is in the folds of the flesh. A lot of people love it just for its weirdness, and it's just, oh boy. Uh, if you if you like put this on and don't pay attention, you'll just be lost completely. It's freaking weird. Okay, another rewatch from 1970, another Italian flick, and this is Queens of Evil. Yeah, this one is really interesting. Jeez, uh, who, who's in here? Uh, Ray Lovelock, who I really like, um, but it also has the one actress is in it, like several movies that I watched. I always forget her name. Ida, Ida something along the lines, but she's in a slew of these. Ray Lovelock is in a Let's Sleep in Corpses Lie, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, Autopsy, which Autopsy and Live Like a Cop, Die with a Man will pop up later. I was being like some of the same actors in those movies. But Queens of Evil, I, I did. I covered this a little bit ago, not too long ago. Manda Macabre put out the disc, so if you want a more in-depth review or a longer review, check that out. So rewatching this one, I think this is only the—I don't know if it's the only devil kind of Adam and Eve kind of storyline here. But uh, this is a really strange movie. Uh, Ray Lovelock was like 20 when he filmed this movie. Everybody in this movie looks gorgeous, especially the principal cast. They look fantastic. They look very 60s hippie carryover, and this is definitely one of these movies where we kind of mix that kind of. Uh, 
a you know satanic feel with the hippie stuff all kind of mixed in the one. There's a lot of that stuff going on in 1970 still. I think like half the movies have a hippie element, and all the other half have like uh, you know a cult satanic element. So like a lot of those mix and everything like that. So, um, but it is standout in the way that the the musical score or the soundtrack is really great. Some of the original songs actually were sung by Ray Lovelock. They stand out. They're really great. Uh, visually, it's an amazing movie. Uh, the set design is great. Everybody looks fantastic. There's lots of sex in here, and uh, knowing exactly where it's leading, it's it's such a devil story, you know, the Saint story and everything like that. But uh, yeah, there's some real surreal stuff going on too. Uh, I give this one a recommend. Really dark ending and uh, really kind of weird message at the end where you're like, what is this movie trying to tell me? I don't fucking know. But Queens of Evil, check it out. I think it's cool. I think it's worth watching. If you're interested in the old review, go check it out. I've covered this one before. But yeah, uh, just kind of wanted to not leave it on the table. Wanted to give it a rewatch. If I'm watching 100 movies, it went up for me. It's, it's better than I remembered. So yeah, good stuff. Okay, another quickie rewatch here. Uh, me and Jeremy watched this one for Hammer a while back, and this is the fifth Hammer one that was released this year. I don't know which order, but I've covered the other four already. So this is Crescendo. I'll rewatch. This is a Warner Archive disc. Um, yeah. So this is more of a thriller uh, kind of style movie. And like I said, it does share similarities when we first covered it. I, I feel like to what was the one, Paranoiac or Nightmare? I can't remember. The one with Oliver Reed and the piano and everything like that. So what we have here is this kind of, this woman kind of doing like her, um, she's like a college uh, college student. She's focused on like piano and focused on this musician. So she kind of is invited or she somehow gets the chance to go to this kind of isolated like villa or whatever, this like a place where all these people, um, basically the family of the musician are still there and kind of talk to the family and learn some things and look at his archives and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the mother is still there. There is the, the son of the piano player who's in a wheelchair from a tragic accident who obviously is having, he has these haunted dreams. He's obviously psychologically damaged. He has these weird haunting dreams involving him killing, uh, you know, uh, loved ones and, and then himself and all that kind of weird stuff. Um, and then there's also a couple kind of helpers there, kind of a maid, and then also kind of a, you know, uh, I guess a butler and Josh Uckland, who is the bad guy in Lethal Weapon 2. Gotta mention him every time I see him. Uh, diplomatic immunity. Everybody knows that. So uh, anyways, those are the, kind of the main principal cast here. Right away, things are very strange. Um, and then we kind of realize that this young young man in the wheelchair has, uh, you know, has suffers from a drug problem at the same time. So uh, yeah, there's some really good cinematography in here. There's a great shot of something really ominous and dark in the pool and then we kind of zoom away from it in the same shot and then we realize we're on the second floor balcony and watching someone sleep which I thought was really effective um, yeah this is a good looking movie it's a shot in a, it's a good location uh, the twist I completely forgot while watching it and that's the funny thing about thrillers is no matter how many times I watch a thriller I feel like I'll never remember the twist unless it's you know one of the like best thrillers ever made so re-watching this I was like I uh, oh shit that's kind of a crazy twist I did not see that coming I did not know that was there um, but yeah this is an alright movie a solid thriller, uh, some good visuals, uh, you know, some good nightmare sequences and everything like that. Um, I, it's not an absolute favorite of mine. And um, is it, it might be my least favorite of the five Hammer movies that came out this year, but there's not really, really any slouches in 1970 for the Hammer movies that we have Scars of Dracula, Taste the Blood of Dracula, which I love, Vampire Lovers, which I love, uh, Horror Frankenstein, which I've, I've liked a little bit more, and then this one. So, I mean, 
they all kind of like uh, the the previous three I mentioned. Uh, Horror Frankenstein's my fourth, so this one would be my fifth, I think, out of the five Hammer movies released from 1970. Um, but yeah, um, check it out. It's directed by Alan Gibson, I think. Yeah, I think that's the name. I think he, yeah, Alan Gibson. He directed, uh, I think, one of the Draculas and some other movies as well. So yeah, Crescendo. Not not horrible, not amazing, but solid, solid, good thriller. A little thriller horror oriented movie. Okay, I'm gonna be brief with this one as it's a rewatch, and I don't like to kind of you know, stay too negative all the time, but this is Herschel Gordon Lewis' Wizard of Gore from 1970. This was a third time watch. I actually watched it for the, the when I was covering a lot of Herschel Gordon Lewis movies from Arrow. Then I rewatched it for the 22 Shots, remake versus original kind of thing. And then I had to rewatch it for 1970 because if you're watching 100 movies and you want to see the 1970 as a whole, there's no way that you can't watch the Herschel Gordon Lewis movie because you, you're looking at a lot of these titles and you're seeing like Andy Milligan and Al Adamson and these other kind of cheapy guys out there making movies and as far as popularity is concerned Herschel Gordon Lewis is the top dog of those kind of schlocky kind of cheap gore movies he's you know the guy that people remember the people that uh, that, that they reference the ones they give credit for being that kind of guy who changed the face of horror films through his extreme gore and stuff and kind of changing a lot of things and being an innovator on how to advertise and all that kind of stuff so uh, as far as Herschel Gordon Lewis is concerned I said it a million times I respect him I know he's a very important historical figure I don't love all those movies I think a lot of them are absolutely unbearable. Wizard of Gore is one of those ones I do not care for. I, I think 2000 Maniacs is good. Color Me Blood Red is solid. Gore Gore Girls is good. Um, and then the rest of them, I just don't particularly like them. Wizard of Gore is a movie that I, I just don't really particularly like because I, I I know how listening to commentaries and stuff, he he had this element where he did, we start as a Y and when they make a mistake, we do a medium and then we make a mistake to we do a close-up. And it's just like a formulaic thing that for him and he doesn't seem to love what he's doing. I know that he was an innovator and everything like that and he had decent ideas although I've read uh, that this is kind of a take or a rip on Hypnotic Eye which I've not had a chance to see so I can't deny or confirm that but um he did have some solid ideas and the idea here is doing the grand ganole theater um kind of idea in a film and it's there you know uh, basically it follows this uh Montag this musician um who brings people on stage and he mutilates them in really graphic detail and some kind of really kind of pushing the boundary kind of details and call it like some stuff that you expect, like swords down the throat, cutting them in half. Uh, but doing a press through somebody is batshit crazy, uh, nailing somebody head, knocking their brains out, all that kind of stuff. And the audience sees it. They seem to be kind of hypnotized. And then, um, after the, the act is done, um, they're perfectly fine and walk away, but later that night, they're actually found dismembered in that fashion. So um, there's a journalist kind of looking into it and the girlfriend and her boyfriend, and then there's also some police detectives on the case as well, uh, trying to figure out everything. Um, my problem with the movie is that every scene of footage shot for it ends up in the movie, so it's way too long for what it is. There's literally scenes of like just long pauses. There's so much air in it. like It's just no editing, minimal editing to the point where it's just like, I know that you shot the movie and you don't want to be wasteful but this is literally every single scene in the movie goes on for 10 seconds too long and then when you add that all together every shot I should say goes on for 10 seconds too long when you add it all together you add like 10 minutes of air which just make it absolutely unbearable for me to watch um, the gore effects for the time are really effective as far as disturbing content and that's kind of what they are and you know when you look at Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies at the time his movies really are that kind of extreme quality where they're like we're just here to kind of be nuts and sometimes he has really good ideas 
ideas like 2000 Maniacs or or he has fun movies like Gorgo Girls but a lot of the times they're just shock value for the sake of shock value and um, uh, for extreme movies to work for me I have to be kind of invested in them no problem with extreme films as long as I somehow get invested or see something really cool and unique about it and although this one does have a, a kind of a cool idea about it it just goes on for way too long it's completely boring for me the dialogue is absolutely garbage the um the acting is garbage, but most of the, sometimes that won't bother me in some movies. But in his movies, it's just so dull. Everything seems so dull. The twist at the end, it, it, I know people are like, well, it's supposed to be kind of mind-bending and crazy. To me, it seems very lazy. A lot of the dialogue that Montag says is just really poor and comes across childish and maybe that's the intent um but a lot of people are always saying these weird strange it seems very edgelordish i don't know and, and i'm like not need to put this in the context of 1970 it's obviously much better than i'm giving it credit for in the context of 1970 right this is 19 this is not now dave you're not watching a movie from last year you're watching a movie from 1970 and for 1970 this is pretty groundbreaking stuff in, in the completely no budget world but at the same time i just i respect gordon lewis don't like this movie at all. It's really hard for me to watch without wanting to die. That's as nice as I can put it. Uh, so don't expect to see this one in my top 10. I would I would not be surprised if it didn't make somebody else's top 10. I'm looking at you, Christian. I'm looking at you. Uh, yeah, so uh, anyways, I doubt Christian's going to listen to this anyways. But Dave Z might, and he might, might relay it to him. But uh, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, we're watching all these 1970 movies to do a, a 22 shots of moods and horror top 10 of 1970 and the exploding heads guys are guesting on that show. So we got six hosts doing it. Jeremy's dropping out. So if you guys follow me on the podcast world or anything like that, or you just know me from this show, but that's why I'm watching all the 1970 movies. If you guys haven't wondered already, if I haven't explained it anyways, wizard of gore, not a fan, uh, but it is important obviously. And uh, it's better than the remake. Okay, so now we're getting to the last two 1970 movies. Like I said, I might watch a couple more. Um, but when I got to the end, I was like, well, I'm going to do something for me. I want to watch these kind of... This one is more of a thriller, of course. It always had a great reputation. I've heard about Elric Crane always said how great this was on Pure Cinema. I listened to the show. I obviously said that's a great place to learn about movies that you haven't heard about, possibly, or some hidden gems. And this is Road to Selena from 1970, like I said. And uh, yeah, this stars, uh, who's this guy in here? Uh, Robert Walker Jr. I remember him from The Son of Blob, which is very funny. It also has Rita Hayworth, who's important, and Mimsy Farmer, who's kind of a cult favorite, uh, being in stuff like Four Flies on Grey Velvet and Autopsy and everything like that. And uh, The Track, or what is it? Uh, the Pursuit, a.k.a. The French film, which I've been meaning to see for years. Um, but yeah, Road to Selena. First and foremost, i got to say that Kino Lorber's been putting out a lot of these studio canal titles, and they are doing such a great job on these studio canal titles. They look absolutely fantastic. I think this has to be a 4K master. I was impressed with how this looked. If you were to tell me this was um, from 1990, um, besides like the obvious like set pieces and stuff being 1970, I'd like, well, visually, it looks like this 1990. It looks so good. This looks such an amazing movie. It looks way newer than it. I mean, it, it looks perfection. So, um, yeah, this is a really interesting movie. Uh, like I said, stars Robert Walker Jr., Mimsy Farmer, Rita Hayworth. She also Rita Hayworth also did one other movie this year that's kind of a, a, might interest some people. I believe it's the William Griffey movie. I can't think of the title. Naked Zoo. I think she was in that one, which I covered a while back. Not necessarily a horror movie, but definitely an exploitation kind of cult genre film. Um it's interesting, good plot here. So what we have here is Robert Walker Jr. The movie opens up and he's kind of running away and uh, this young, this woman screaming about him, Rocky, Rocky. And then we kind of go to this point where we have this story, like him in a car. 
talking to this police officer and we have a flash and we kind of assume that he's telling the story and everything like that. So um, Robert Walker ends up showing up to this small town, uh, this area where like this kind of like stop restaurant, kind of stop and go gas station deal. It's kind of isolated in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the woman there says, Rocky, I'm so glad you came back. And he's confused at first. He doesn't understand. But uh, this woman thinks, it's Rita Hayworth, thinks that he is her long-lost son who kind of ran away years back. Um, and uh, Mark Porles also in this movie. I bring that up because I mentioned that I would be talking about Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, uh, which he's also in. Ray Lovelock, I talked about a movie he was in. He's also in that. They're partnered up. Uh, Mark Porles didn't do too many movies. Died very young, uh, tragically. He's also in Don't Torture a Duckling, uh, the Fulci movie. So I always bring that up when I see his name. He's stuck with me, his, uh, his tragic life. So... Um, Basically, uh, Rita Hayworth thinks it's Rocky and Robert Walker Jr. is very tired. So he just plays along a little bit not to upset her, get some free meals, get a place to rest his head. Um, But after a while, the sister comes home and played by Mimsy Farmer. And um, I I don't probably think that Robert Walker Jr. or Mimsy Farmer ever looked better. They look absolutely fantastic in this movie. Uh, The remaster, there's like perfect, especially Mimsy Farmer. I never registered how perfect she looked like these two look so great in this movie. Um, and, and as it goes on, like, you're like, oh, the gig's up, I guess. But she also starts to refer to him as Rocky. And we have some, like, of his inner monologue narration talking about, I must really look like Rocky. And he starts to play this game and everything like that. And, and Ed Begley Sr. shows up and he's playing along and it gets really kind of crazy and everything like that. And he starts to try to figure out what happened to Rocky, how he find pictures of Rocky. But at the same time, he's falling for Mimsy Farmer, who he's supposed to be his sister and everything like that. And you never really, you're like, well, it's got to go one of a few ways and everything like that. Um, Mimsy Farmer is fucking fantastic in this movie. Fucking amazing performance here. Love it. Great performance. Uh, she's, she's, you know, like when I, I remember watching Autopsy years back and it was always like, hey, Mimsy Farmer's in this. And I was like, I barely remember that movie. And then when I rewatched it, I really like that one. But this one, uh, yeah. And like watching Four Flies and seeing her performance in that, I finally get watching all these movies. I really get why people love her and why she's kind of a cult actress. Like I because she's really good in these movies and she's got this great uh you know psychological thing going on in all three of those movies to a certain extent uh but it it starts to get crazy and there's an incestuous relationship plenty of nudity i I was surprised how graphic it was and everything and and sexual and stuff for 1970 but it's a beautiful movie it's shot in a beautiful location cinematography's great story's great very intriguing a really excellent movie to be honest i would really recommend checking this one out kino did an excellent job remastering this thing this thing looks fucking like it came out yesterday um i'm sorry for the harsh language i know someone probably doesn't want to hear me say the f word even though i'm talking about a movie where uh brother and sister are supposedly fucking uh yeah it so cracks me up right you could say anything like no, no language now talk about the guy having sex with the dead bodies some more um <laughs> uh, so yeah check this movie out really great stuff all right, so the last one from 1970 that I watched, although I'm going to talk about one after, you'll see why, is Deep End, which is not necessarily a horror, not a horror at all. Maybe a little bit of thriller, but more of a dark drama, psychological deal. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's funny I talk about The Crush here because that movie involved like kind of a 15-year-old being infatuated with an older woman. And Deep End is kind of that story, too. We have this 15-year-old who's infatuated with an older, more sexually experienced woman. They both work at this kind of this bathhouse where people go and like, shower and everything like that and it's it's a really crazy time to get a glimpse of it um this is a uh, british film 
So the two of them, uh, basically, he's, he's really early in starting out his job, and she kind of shows him under the wing a little bit. She's kind of rude to him at first, and he's clearly infatuated with her, and they start this weird relationship. Um, and he just seems to, over time, become more and more obsessed with her until, obviously, we have this kind of tragic thing that happens. Um, it's darkly comedic. There's a lot of side characters that are very funny, especially the cashier lady at the register. Her and the main female in this movie have this obvious, this hatred towards each other that's very funny, and there's lots of good gags with her um there's this weird situation that happens with the lead character here where he has to uh go into this this uh kind of service this woman and he's like do you like football and that becomes a reoccurring joke later on that's really done effectively but uh yeah this movie is is visually it's a great looking movie there's lots of stuff it's going on here uh lots of questions brought up it's coming of age story at the same time um and although you like the character is so like doing these awful things uh obviously kind of like an incel character i guess you'd say for sure um you 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 have like some sort of sympathy for him although he's completely in the wrong and just horrible uh but it's it, the ending of this movie is really kind of dark and uh and beautiful looking like i don't know how to go about it too much and explain that much more about it but uh there's a kind of a seedy element too where he's stalking like this woman and her fiance and they go to this like this porn film and there's a kind of a funny scene that happens involving the cops and pressing charges and everything like that but then we also get this uh kind of stuff where he is like trying to infiltrate some of the seedy stuff and and he sees that she's more sexually experienced and every time he sees that it upsets her to and it's just it's a really interesting coming of age movie that uh ends tragically and it's really well acted i i enjoyed revisiting it i had seen this one years ago over 12 13 years ago so re revisiting this one was kind of a treat just to kind of see it in older eyes and it's a completely different movie when i originally watched this i don't think i picked up on any of that dark comedic stuff and this time i definitely saw it uh this is a bfi release this is oh a blu-ray i've had for years uh there's uh some special features on here as well starting out which is the original title for the movie the making of jerry uh sokolminski's deep end uh 74 minutes and uh they actually brought back uh, this was in 2010 they made this they brought back the two leads in here and they both still look great i was just like man i hope i look that good when i'm that age and then there's also deep end the deleted scenes 12 minutes short documentary exploring the scenes that never made the grade original theatrical trailer careless love 10 minutes rare and disturbing tale in which a woman jane astor the lead actress in this takes drastic action to keep the affections of a man she loves um, which is kind of the opposite here because we have that obsession here but uh, yeah this is a really interesting movie um, I would imagine that um it's funny to me, like some of the stuff that happens in here, you, you, involving kind of a young man nude and stuff like that. Um, people go completely ballistic over something like a Serbian film, but when you look at movies like Deep End, which is more of an artistic, obviously not as uh, explicit or have the subject matter that Serbian film has, we do have this element of sexual nature with a young person in here. People don't go ballistic over this, probably because they don't watch art films, or maybe they just have heard about Serbian film, but they haven't heard of Deep End, or maybe they don't see any art in Serbian film. I don't know, but stuff like Sweet Movie is more... Uh, pushing the boundaries to me where I'm just like, oh man, I don't know if people should be watching this anymore. But, you know, I'm not one to censor anything like that. But it's just like stuff, it's just so funny what people choose to get mad about in movies because it's like, it shows that their lack of knowledge in other films and other movies have done crazier things that were more well regarded of Serbian film, but uh, they just don't, I, I know Serbian film and Deep End is like comparing apples and oranges. It's pretty fucking insane. But you guys get the point of what people get mad about, right? And just what they hyper-focus on and everything like that. But Deep End, classic movie, Glad I got to revisit it. Like I said, not a horror movie, not necessarily a thriller, but more of a dark psychological drama coming of age movie that uh, should be seen. I mean, it's, it's obviously important and most and BFI put it out and a lot of people do high, hold it in high regard for good reason.
Okay, I saved this one for last because it's by John Huff, who directed The Watcher in the Woods, which is coming, uh, we're going to, me and Jeremy are going to talk about right after this. But uh, yeah, this stars Mark Lester and Susan George, and also stars Peter Vaughn. I thought it was really funny. This is Sudden Terror, a.k.a. Eyewitness. Sorry about that. I thought it was really kind of a fun coincidence. I imagine it's not a coincidence. They probably have the same casting director. Or they got their, one of the other person got their person the role. But it has Susan George. And Peter Vaughn, both from Straw Dogs, which would be made a year later in 1971 by Sam Peckinpah. So yeah, Susan George uh, is in this, and and Peter Vaughn. I'm a bit. I like Peter Vaughn a lot. I love him in Straw Dogs. I really like him in uh, Symptoms, and he's in that Die Die My Darling, the Hammer movie. He's good in that. Just a good actor. So uh, this plot, uh, what we have here, it's more of your kind of thriller kind of story here. Again, another Studio Canal movie that Kino put out remaster looks fucking fantastic. Um, so. We have this young boy who kind of tells stories. He's had a very active imagination. He uh, lives with his grandfather and um, uh, his, or he's visiting his grandfather. I can't necessarily remember 100%. I, I fe- it feels like he lives with his grandfather. Maybe he's just visiting him. But uh, And his sister's there as well, played by Susan George. The young boy is Mark Lester. What happens is, I believe that's Mark Lester. Uh, it's hard to remember child actors and everything like that. Um, so what happens here is, uh, basically he witnesses an, um, an assassination of uh, somebody in power and, uh, the whole like little place goes completely insane and everything like that. And they lock everything down and he's trying to get out of there and, uh, everything like that. And of course the, the people who assassinate him are after the young boy when they figure out he knows, um, his grandfather is actually, uh, played really well. His grandfather's a lot of fun. He's like this old military guy. So he's always talking to his son in this military code and everything. And he's actually a fairly likable character, although obviously he's from 1970 so he says some things that are very inappropriate nowadays but Susan George kind of uh, meets a young man and tries to help her find her brother initially and uh, the grandfather Susan George and this young man and the boy are basically trying to figure out what the hell's going on while not getting killed by these uh, assassins that are driving around the town um Peter Vaughn's really solid in it. You know, he does a great job being a creep. If you've ever seen some of his movies, he's, he's very good at that. He's got a very iconic look. Uh, yeah, this is more of a thriller, kind of chase him, cat and mouse thing. It's really well done, uh, and a lot of people die. It's dark. Um... Uh, surprisingly, a lot of people get wasted, including children, which kind of shocked me. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the movie Day of the Jackal, the original version. So I would put it in more of in line with that than any like kind of horror thriller oriented movie. But uh, yeah, uh, Sudden Terror, I-, I thought it was really good, really uh, entertaining movie. Uh, like I said, less horror, more Day of the Jackal kind of espionage thriller style. But uh, yeah, good movie with a higher body count than expected. Um, the bad guys are truly villainous. But yeah, cool movie. Hey guys, what's up? We're here for Blind Spot. This was uh, my pick. Yeah, you got two in a row. No, I did not. That does not count. <laughs> and uh, I picked uh, John Huff's Watcher in the Woods. I believe that's how you say his last name. He's kind of a, a, a semi-prolific director, I would say, in the horror crowd. He also did Incubus um, and uh, Legend of Hull House, which is a pretty big horror film. You've never seen that one? Maybe I'll pick that one for you eventually. I think you'd like it. Roddy McDowell's in it. And uh, what, what else did he do? He did uh, Sudden Terror, which I covered this week. And, jeez, uh, he did one of the Escape to Witch Mountain movies. I think he did both those. The guy has a has a track record. I think he did another big horror film that I'm missing out off the top of my head. But anyways, The Watcher in the Woods had kind of a... It's one of these movies that was like not really completed or, or tampered with. It was based off a, a novel... Uh, it stars Betty Davis, Carol Baker, David McCallan. That's pretty much the names in there. I was kind of shocked to see Carol Baker in this because I had recently just covered The Fourth Victim 
and uh, Quiet Place to Kill, which are a couple kind of Gialli thriller movies. And she, um, for the horror fan, she was famous before this, but she kind of like was solidified in kind of horror thriller category when she did the uh, like four Umberto Lenzi uh, Giallo movies. There's actually a box set of those. And uh, David McCowan, I think I remember from being in The Great Escape. And he has the story with Charles Bronson, Jill Ireland, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm mixing up actors. And, of course, Betty fucking Davis. The first of six movies, I guess, we'll be covering from <laughs> last week. Six uh, Betty Davis spooky movies. Anyway, she's a classic actress. And this is not the first time that she was a creepy old lady in a house. See, um... Uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane and burnt offerings. If you want to see more Betty Davis being creepy in a house or the nanny, the nanny uh, or the anniversary, the it just seems to be Betty Davis being right. creepy in a house is kind of a ramo. Okay, so the Watcher in the Woods. This is a strange one. It starts off kind of typical. This family that looking to rent this place. Betty Davis owns it. She lives in kind of the side house. Uh, some tragedy had happened here. This house is isolated in the woods. The family decides to move in. Betty Davis lets them uh, because the oldest daughter reminds her of her missing daughter who mysteriously vanished in these woods years back. Uh, there's kind of a strange little story about it and a tragedy and the woods seem to be haunted. There's definitely an ominous presence within these woods. Mm -hmm. So uh, after that, I don't know where to take this story without spoiling it, but it is fucking weird. It goes all over the place and it is a nuts story. Uh, yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> what are your takes on it? I mean, you know, but like what, what's going on in here is a psychic dog, a psychic wind, <laughs> psychic lightning. Oh, my, oh, I um. forgot about the fucking dog. <laughs> so right away, the movie is really predictable in like the best way, but it, it not the it's made for like kids. It's kind of like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a weird Disney movie. live action 1980s. So mm -hmm. it's kind of scary for kids, but still yet it's made most made mostly for kids. So right in the beginning, um, we know that there's been a missing daughter of some sort. We don't know the details, but there's this really hilarious scene where, uh, is it the girl or the little, the, the young little boy sister. writes? Yeah. It's it writes, um, what is it? Nemkiss or something? Narek. Narek on the, the window. I was like, it's Karen backwards. <laughs> this is also like the same year as the shining. So I was like, are we doing this? <coughs> and then they named the dog that, and yeah. it is the worst name in any film I've ever seen for a dog. And like the dog, I, think talks through the little girl to like warn them of like impending disaster like like i had the impression that like the spirit or the thing the watcher if you will is speaking through the dog yes, which do. is speaking speaking through the daughter it's like Okay. What you talking about, Willis? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a real weird movie, and we're kind of mm. kind of getting the spoilers here on the Blu-ray from uh, Disney. Uh, it looked pretty good. Um, yeah. It's it advertises on Blue uh, Blu-ray 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 uh, Blu-ray.com that has a five point one mix. There's only a two point one, so I, I don't. I, don't, I mean, most people probably don't care about that. Um, I noticed it though. I was like, mm. anyways. Um, there, this movie had some like weird failures and like test screenings that people didn't like. And there's an alternate opening, which is more of a horror film. And it's a really yeah. cool scene. Mm -hmm. I, I loved it. Um, because a lot of this film takes place in the woods, of course, hence the title. And there's this really cool area where it looks like people would go bike riding, where it's all these hills meeting and like the wooded area. And there was kind of an area like that when I was a kid that was really fun to go to and bike and everything. 
um, until junkies kind of started going. <laughs> <laughs> People started just not wanting to go back there. But uh, yeah, so it, it was always like a real cool area. And that, that opening is really nice. And they changed mm-hmm. it, which is kind of a bummer. And there's two alternate endings. Yes. And it completely changes everything about the movie. It, it literally takes it to like a suspense family film. It makes it more of a, a horror family film in the opening and that ending. Yeah, the... Um... You know, the, so the movie goes on, and yeah, there's seances and witchcraft and all kinds of neat stuff. But then the ending comes, and, and like the ending that the movie has currently, it's. And they save the day. You know, Betty it's Davis okay. is happy, or you know, whatever. The endings that, like, they removed, almost horrific, almost like. The first one is a little shorter. You get a glimpse of right. what a, you you think is could possibly be a ghost or an occult presence, but it's an alien. But somehow, and an interdimensional, interdimensional bullshit. But he looks awesome, and I don't know he if does. they thought he was corny or what, or too scary or something. Maybe a mixture of both. But the second ending goes even further, and my jaw dropped to the ground where I was literally watching them launch into space, and I was just like the fuck is this it's a bonkers bananas movie and um, it's insane i I, betty davis is really solid in it Mm -hmm. um she's good in it wish there's a little bit more of her i you know i i thought that it would be more like betty davis is a witch in the woods and gonna eat children nah betty davis is just a lonely old crazy person and her hair changes from scene to scene if i remember i I think that that must be like like with the reshooting and the re-editing um because i i think he knows it mostly in the yeah. ending scene and there's definitely two different uh lost daughters playing it like the the one reshoot had a different one and then like when it showed it in the second ending the original ending had uh well the ending on the movie which i don't yeah. think is the original ending but when they went and reshot it it was a different girl but i was just like it was jarring because i was so used to the other one i was like what the fuck is this right it, it's really strange mm-hmm. so i guess we're gonna read from creature features john stanley's and your tear on tape we have uh it's in both books yes I know some people don't like the books. I do. I don't. Why not? Guys, I already said what I wanted to say. What do I care what John... I said what I said and I meant it. Okay, (laughs) Watcher in the Woods. That's a little Bill Murray from Kingpin. I said I was sorry and I meant it. Two out of five stars, Disney attempted to escape formulatic kitty movies with his adaptation of Florence E. Randall novel, but the results are too silly to make it an adult movie and not silly enough to make it a kitty treat. Music writer David McKellen, wife Carol Baker, and daughters Lynn Holly Johnson and Kyle Richards move into a secluded mansion owned by a sinister old bat Betty Davis. A strange psychic force emit, uh, I hate when they do that. Emits from the nearby forest that the word was cut in half, and I'm stupid. But is never explained as the teens, overwhelmed by ESP powers, help Davis's long-lost daughter. Apparently, an alien probe has taken her and trapped her in another dimension. And there's a shower of fireworks by Harrison Ellenshaw that passes as effects. The film, directed by John Huff and adapted by Brian Clemens, Harry Spaulding, and Rosemary Ann Sisson, was never released art theatrically, even after new footage was added by doctoring director Vincent McEvity. Ian Bannon... Georgina Hale and Richard Paso or Pasco, Disney, Disney. Minimal pronunciation mistakes. I think there was a couple in there. I know. See, from now on, I gotta count my pronunciation mistakes, and if I have too many pronunciation mistakes, especially pronouncing pronunciation, I have to cancel the show. You, you're derailed, just... <laughs> um, unhinged. So, so I just want to point out the typo in, in here. Um, it's 
I think that's supposed to be secluded, but they wrote scheduled, so I'm I'm going to say secluded because it <laughs> just doesn't. I'll, I'll read it both ways. I'll go over the sentence. Sometimes twice. that happens where the words are weird or they don't match, and you like stumble over it and have pronunciation problems. Okay, watcher in the woods, comma v, two and a half, Disney out of four. 1980, PG, <laughs> 83 minutes. I'm not reading all the names. Don't read it. Don't read it. Here. Okay, read the damn thing. Okay. <laughs> um, fair haunted house chiller made during a time when Disney was desperately trying to change its image. A nice American family moved into a scheduled English <laughs> mansion that may or may not be haunted by the ghost of its landlady's daughter, Atmospheric but confused. It was heavily re-edited before release with some science fictional elements at the climax removed and a new ending shot by McEvity substituted. Don't know why it's a substituted at the end. Because they had another ending already there. Um, um. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would have liked the proper ending there. And I wish that that creature was more throughout the movie. More creature. Um, cause, cause, you know, they, they do this whole like seance and there was a ritual that they did and, you know, that stuff was neat, but like, I, I don't know. I think when that, when that creature shows up, that's not in the cut, the final product. It made it better. It made it so much better. It, it just took like a, a batshit crazy kind of thing. It was kind of, you know, I always go back to Planet of the Apes too, where it's like, like, like. Meh, meh, what is going on? Well, okay. the turn can really do it. Oh, there was yeah. this great part, too, where... Because what, originally what happened is the group is doing some weird kind of seance as young kids, and that's kind of when the kid went missing, so she has to bring all them back to redo the seance on this mm -hmm. eclipse. Should have probably explained all this earlier. Yeah. So, so what happens is uh, the young girl's trying to get everybody to come back, and they've all mm -hmm. moved on with their lives. We have a typical, like, kind of married woman with the kid, and then we have the kind of crazy guy who went into the woods, and we have kind of successful guy who wants to forget about it. Right. But when she initially goes to him at first, I do not know what he was doing. He was like, I don't, I started laughing because it was just such a weird performance. His accent, I don't remember what he said, but he was so over the top initially. He was like, get on the, uh. it, it was like the South Park, like, took our jobs thing going on. Like, I, I, I but he was really good that. later on, so I don't yeah, know what yeah, the hell so was going on. It was just on. like a weird scene. Um, oh, there, and he's a character actor, in a bunch of shit. You know, like, like, this does feel like very hammerish to me. Um, both with the house, I, I swear that the cathedrals where they resurrect Dracula with the blood, and um, you probably have to be more specific movie? than that with Dracula. Yeah, you know, when, when they take the blood and <laughs> taste they, the blood, they or... throw it at him. Remember when he is like <laughs> Dracula dies from like the weird acid trip, looking at all the crosses in the church at the one of them. He's like, oh, yeah, oh, it's like oh. like the silhouettes and like remember the sixties guys. Dracula had a bad acid trip. <laughs> Poor Dracula. Um, no, it, it looks like that. It was almost like done on hammer sets with like the woods there. Obviously, it's definitely um, not though, because we don't have the pond that pops up in all the yeah. We don't have the, the Jose and the Ross movies. Uh, we don't have um. Definitely. Uh, the the didn't we see though? It was Pinewood Studios at the end. It was Pinewood yeah, Studios. So. Yeah, so that's Star Wars. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Right. So um, Betty Davis is technically in the Star Wars canon. She's already a Disney princess. Yeah, pretty more. <laughs> Oh my okay, god! <laughs> so there we go. Um, I I enjoy Betty Davis. I think she's yeah, she's fantastic. great. Everybody does. If you don't, you're wrong. Six point five out of ten, somewhere around there. It it could have been a great, but it just turns out pretty good. I'd give it a three out of five. I, I feel it's a very middling movie. You know, it's 
you know, it's okay, but like 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 your book said, it's a little bit too too much to be a kid's movie, but not enough to be an adult movie. I live on movies that are just a little... I, I would have had it rather be scarier. I think it would have been a better movie. I, I completely agree. I, I, I think that if it were done more like a horror movie, I think that it'd probably translate better. Um, definitely include The Watcher, because his puppet was... Like fantastic, like like one of the coolest. He straight hugged her like a yeah, he like like enveloped her like a vampire, like a okay. Dracula, if yeah. you will. Um, he's like like this like skeleton bat robot thing, like really cool. Um, you know, speaking of uh, unfinished unfinished Disney movies, next week next week it's going to be Black Cauldron. That will count as you ain't seen though. Well, have you seen, seen it? it? And you've seen it. I've seen it. I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah. It's a U18. I didn't know that these there were categories. Actually, sometimes I'm just naming movies I've already seen, but I just really want to watch. Like, probably around Christmas time, I'm going to say I've never seen you, Batman Returns. You can't do that. We're not watching Batman Returns. Not not next week. I'm next not week watching Batman watching, fucking Returns. Next week, we're watching The Black Cauldron. December 20th, it might be Batman Returns. Here, here's the two movies that you couldn't get away with doing that. Heathers and Batman Returns. You know why? Because you shoehorn those in with everything. You'd be like, I didn't bring up Heathers one time this whole video, and here you are, and now I feel the need to talk about it some more. Um, no, this has been like a solid like maybe four weeks now of, of just watching like unfinished, incomplete movies. Yeah, we watched Dune. Dune. Crow. Uh, Watcher in the Woods. Betty Davis. Black Cauldron. <laughs> We're gonna watch Black Cauldron. So we're I'm gonna good. watch Black Cauldron. So um, we're done. I, I'm excited done. to watch Black Cauldron. It's it's better than this. I think Black Cauldron's better than. I mean, Black Cauldron. It's probably why this movie got made. Actually, this one came out before Black. But Cauldron. it's not as good as something wicked this way comes. I agree. It's well, probably well, not. This is at, at like like the shaky time in Disney where like everything was falling apart, and then Black Cauldron comes and really just decapitates the whole monster, and it doesn't have anything to do for the next. Uh, you know, five years, and then something else happens. Um, but we'll talk about that next week. Okay, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Um, questions, or uh, whatever. Isimisio. Oof, I wasn't big on Malignant. I felt the tone was all over the... Spoilers here, she's going to spoil this a little bit. I felt the tone was all over the place, with overly used cliche moments, and very wan throughout, even though they're making this movie as a fresh vision. Though I did not enjoy the prison, I did. Though I did enjoy the prison scene in Gore, Gabrielle's sudden fighting techniques completely threw me off. I wanted the film to be darker in tone, and I think leaving certain aspects of it ambiguous would have helped. But we already seen see too much of Gabrielle by the prison scene, and by then I was just like meh. Ending felt rushed and sloppy. Also, way too long. So many scenes could have been cut out. These types of movies, I just don't do it for me. The scene where the sister goes to the asylum to find her sister's files, you're telling me that the you miraculously dug through thousands of boxes in that creepy-ass building and managed to locate with precision the exact contents you're looking for about your sister? Nah, bro, that's too convenient. I did like the Seattle Underground setting, though, because I visited that tour before. The Thing 4K is amazing. The Thing is, such, is just such a timeless film. I felt like I can never do wrong in any format. Best Ensemble cast, probably Transpotting. The Thing, Hocus Pocus, haha. American Psycho, The Raid 2, Internal, and Infernal Affairs 1 and 2, The Descent, The Craft, to name a few. Um, I understand that your complaints about Malignant, but I feel like I know that not everyone likes the campy tone. They're looking at Malignant as the typical James Wan movie, which I feel is more serious in tone. Well, watching this one... Um, I don't think that Malignant was ever supposed to be a fresh vision. It literally is a love letter to Jolly, but also tons and tons of psychological movies and weird 
goofy movies like Basket Case and Dark Half. I think that this movie is more in line with something that is campy and just a lot of fun. And um, the movie gave me the tone of absolute ridiculousness after it hit a certain point to where I threw my magnifying glass away. And I said, I won't be needing this. I won't be needing this microscope anymore to, to kind of try to dissect this movie. Yes, there's lots of conveniences, lots of goofy things, but the movie is goofy. It's just a goofy movie. And I understand people don't have to love it, but, um, and I'm not saying you're doing this. You, you, you obviously don't like this kind of stuff. So I, I get that. That's fine. But, um, there's a lot of people that I feel like talking about this, they're very ashamed to admit that they like it. So they're like, it was fun, but it's trash. It's shitty. It's a shitty movie. But I feel like a movie is out there. This movie's trying to be entertaining and fun. Other people might not see it that way. And they're just, kind of taking themselves a little too seriously when it comes to it. But hey, that's me. I mean, I'm not a serious critic. Some people might still want to be looked at as a serious critic and they're worried that somebody might laugh at them for liking Malignant. You're obviously not doing that. I know you. You don't give a shit what people think um, if you like something or not. But also, I feel like if this movie was from Japan, maybe people would be like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's so weird. Because I've seen millions of Japan movies that have this kind of weird tone and no one gives a flying fuck about the consistencies or, or conveniences and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know. I think that just because Juan's name's on it, people hold it to a certain standard. Um, and people that were wanting The Conjuring or something might not like it. Or people that wanted something else. I don't know. Um, expectations can, can fuck your movie experience, viewing experience up. I had zero because I'm not a Juan nut. I don't like... Um, I'm not super obsessed with his films. And I had no expectations. So I didn't... I went in with my guard down and I, I mean, I didn't have it all. I just, I don't give a shit. Let's see what this is. And it took about 25 minutes and I loved it. Um, uh, but the first 25 minutes I was like, what the fuck are we doing? Uh, yeah. But then we have, uh, Michael Bernard. I get that malignant was supposed to be intentionally over the top, but for me, it felt to felt weird as a big budget blockbuster doing that. It looked so polished and it felt like certain parts were played completely straight where other parts were intentionally silly tone was all over the place as cool as the ending was it started to feel like an action movie or a video game with all the expensive cg thrown at it with all that said i dig your review and see the appeal the movie is having with some crowds i guess i just love the idea of somebody making a 10 million dollar version of basket case <laughs> um carson's masonry love dirty work so underrated r.i.p uh, norm mcdonald Travis Wright, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross might be my favorite ensemble, or pretty much any Tarantino or Edgar Wright movie. Uh, Wolfie 96, I saw The Crow when I was quite young on a bare bones DVD. Granted, I already knew about Sting. I liked it as a kid when I saw it, though I can't but think of Sting the wrestler now when I hear people talk about The Crow. I watched the final interview a while back. I was fine with the ending because the main guy is such a piece of shit. He deserves it. Uh, brought Zombie on Blu-ray, then Gates of Hell trilogy DVD set. Cool. Uh, did you enjoy the final interview? Uh, like, no. Nick Mua, highly enjoyable show as per usual. I always look forward to it, especially now that I'm working again. Um, very cool. And the award for Best Ensemble Cast goes to the kids from 1990s It!, Jonathan Brandis, Seth Green, Emily Perkins, Brandon Crane, Adam Ferrazzoli, uh, Marilyn Taylor, and Ben Heller. They were truly magical together on screen. Silver goes to Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, and Richard Jenkins and Bone Tomahawk. For bronze, I'd have to get back to you, sir. Questions. Are there movie titles that confuse you, even if you really like the movie? For me, it's Simon Rundley's Red, White, and Blue. Is the title about the U.S. flag something else? Um... So we're talking about the uh, kind of one that IFC put out. I imagine it's supposed to be somewhat of a Americana kind of imagery. This is kind of America deal. Maybe it's a statement. That kind of I, I get that kind of idea from it. Um, 
Movie titles that kind of confuse me. Uh, let me think. Uh, geez, sometimes movie titles you'll you'll watch the movie. You're like, what the hell is that about? And then you read the title and you're like, oh, um, titles that confuse me. It's got to be some of those giallis where they never break it down. Um, like the titles, a lot of times they'll have the title in the movie, but other times they won't, and you're just like, well, why was it called that? Uh, stuff like that. Is there ever, uh, if they ever do a George Romero biopic, who should portray him? That's a really hard question. I absolutely have no idea. Um, I think that, um, geez, I think you asked that question before. I'm going to go with, um, geez, who is that actor who's in River's Edge? Uh, Roebuck. Daniel Roebuck, I think, could do it. Um, have you ever been to Escape Room? No. An Escape Room? No, I have not. Or cinema. Yeah, man, the thing is awesome. I just picked up the 4K. I also own it on DVD, HD, DVD, LaserDisc, and Blu-ray. I will be getting the VHS and Betamax next. Yeah, I mean, I bought that thing so many times. Hudson, best ensemble cast. That's a tough one. Both uh, in my top 10 favorite uh, faves. Alien, right down to Jones the Cat or Saving Private Ryan. Besides Hanks, Diesel, and Damon, don't see anything of the other guys. Nope, can't decide. Can I have both? Um... Yeah, uh, I, I love Tom Sizemore and Saving Private Ryan. That line where um, he's like, um, Edward Burns is like, you're going to kill me? You're going to kill me over Ryan? And, and Tom Sizemore is like, I'm going to kill you because I don't like you. <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, Saving Private Ryan's a classic. Um, Alien also has a, such a fantastic cast. You you literally remember every single person's face in that movie. Uh, Born to be Rad, great dirty work review, man. I couldn't agree more. Thank you. David Bryant, uh, Mignolignant, got so batshit crazy towards the end, I was laughing my ass off, but left the theater very entertained. Tightrope is a cool thriller, and One Crazy Summer has been a blast to watch. Great reviews, buddy. Thank you. Chris Rivers, Young Guns is my favorite ensemble. That said, which of the two cast do you prefer, Young Guns or Young Guns 2? Ooh, that's a tough one. See, now Young Guns 2 has some bigger names in it. We, like, add William Peterson. We add uh, Viggo Morganson has an early role. Um, Balbazar Getty, um, Christian Slater. But, and then we have three of the uh, re- reoccurring guys from the first one and Emilio Estevez. We also have Alan Ruck in the second one. We have Emilio Estevez, Lou Diamond Phillips, and Kiefer Sutherland, and James Colburn, which is a great cast all around. Um, the first one's a much better movie for me. And um, we have a lot of the same cast Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, um, Lou Diamond Phillips, but we also have Casey Samansko and, um, geez, I can't believe, why did I forget his name of all people? Uh, I can't believe I forgot Dirty Steve's name. He's my favorite character. Um, his real name, oh, geez, I, I didn't want to say John Colbert, but that's obviously not him. Oh, geez, I can't believe, why did I forget his name? Delmont Milroney. Dermot Milroney. There we go. Finally, I'm getting old. We have Jack Palance. We have Terrence Stamp. Oh, geez, we have, uh, Terry O'Quinn. So, that's such a tough one. It's such a tough one. On paper, Young Guns 2 has the better cast. As far as the film plays out, I think Young Guns 1 has the better performances. Um, but in Young Guns 2, we have that wonderful line that James Colburn does. The scourge of New Mexico? I am New Mexico. That's a great line. Uh, so I'm just going to give it to Young Guns 1, probably because I like the movie that much better. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, so Philip Hinton... We have so I best I asked best ensemble cast Scream Nathan Thomas Miller Clue Aaron Crothers Best in Show Al Blyton Mars Attacks Derek B Spotlight and Babel Peter Engelin uh, Basquet with Jeffrey Wright Benicio del Toro Michael Wincott Gary Ullman Dennis Hopper Christopher Walken William Defoe and David Bowie That is an amazing cast I didn't know that Hopper and Walken did another movie together David Gibson You hit this one on a recent episode True Romance The Deer Hunter is up there for me as well Rich uh, Rich Rabbit It's a Mad 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 World And if if somebody else repeats something. Um, um, I'm probably not going to say it. Um, so, yeah. 
Sorry about that. Uh, so Ryan Logson says, True Romance. Joachim uh, Johansson, Ghostbusters, Bill Cassinelli. The opening scene is Santa Slay. Santa Slay, that's all I said, the opening scene. Um, Jack Pollins, uh, Days to Confuse, The Outsiders, Troy Howard, 12 Angry Men, The Thing, Rosemary's Baby, Tim Walker. Just watched Rituals last night. That's a good one. I'd say Thing. Uh, Matthew Hudson, I'd uh, happy to see someone else say it's Mad 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 World, Great Ensemble. Another movie I would say would be JFK. I use both a ton when playing Six Degrees uh, game. No doubt, for sure. Um, I, I'll probably just read everything. I said I wasn't going to make repeats, but why not? I'm going so quick. Rich, Rabel, uh, Rich Rabbit, he also says, might as well throw in Cannonball Run 1 and 2. Toy Araro, The Thing, 82. Cody Lee Harden, Robert Altman's Nashville. Mike Malloy, the cast of Hell Drivers from 57, blew me away recently. Dan Chase, The Departed. Robert Edward Old, uh, Oldham, L.A. Confidential, Jack Criddle, Mars Attacks, Mike Merriman, Boogie Nights, Eric Whining. A few of my favorites have been mentioned already, so I'll throw in Deliverance and The Dirty Dozen. Charles Meacham, Magnolia, Bone Tomahawk, Hereditary, L.A. Confidential, Usual Suspects. Uh, Laqueen T. Lee, The Wild Bunch, Heat, Young Guns, Gabriel's also mentions Heat. Robert Edward Oldham, Stand By Me, Robert Matthew Ziegler, um... Gary, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Daniel Detilla, The Life Aquatic or The Royal Tenenbaums. True Romance is a good one too. Christopher Bickle, the early John Waters films. Robert Edward Olham, he also mentions JFK too. Aaron Cox, The Avengers. John Sims, The Greasy Strangler. Uh, Stephen Friedel, which is obviously a joke. Um, How to Die a Virgin. Uh, Kevin Keegan, The Godfather 1 and 2, Sean Donahue, The Outsiders, Jesse Bird, Murder on the Orient Express, Chris Mayo, Reservoir Dogs, Daniel Spears, The Thing, Tombstone, Predator, Terminator 1, Terminator 2, uh, Kieran Fisher, Tombstone, Trevor Edward Younger, There Will Be Blood, Lazy, Lacey Lou, Scream. Uh, of course, she put that one. It's her favorite movie. Uh, Ian uh, Isra, Saving Private Ryan, uh, Matthew Zoklecki, Zo um, Wild at Heart, Brawl and Cell Block 99, VFW, Cold in July, Matthew, oh, I meant Ryan, Vincent Logston, Unforgiven, Sam Edwards, Wild Bunch, Magnificent Seven, Clue, It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, Edward Waters, Extreme Prejudice or Southern Comfort, Two Great Choices, Justin Patrick, I Always Think Quick and the Dead and Young Guns, Maybe the Outsiders, Ryan Logston, Vincent, Vincent Logston, uh, The Last is Big Lebowski. So the question of the week, so somebody brought up the Six Degrees of Separation game, which is a fun game to play, and I want to know, who is the absolute best actor to use for the six degrees of separation? I always catch myself using guys like, uh, you know, Sam Jack is a good one, but you'll start using um, uh, guys who worked with so many different people. Ed Larder is a good one. Uh, who is the best actor to use for the six degrees of separation game? Um, Nicholas Worth is one I would always use too. He pops up in a lot. Vincent Price, um, you know, he, he's a good one. Jeez, uh, I'm trying to think of other actors I always end up using, ones that just pop up in bit roles in big movies. Um, and there's some movies too that you always use. True Romance, Tombstone is always a good one because there's a big cast in those. Um, the Dirty Dozen. So like these are movies that help you do those six degrees of separation um but who's an actor linnea quigley is a good one to connect with lower budget films because you start picking them you're like well linnea quigley was in um return of the dead with clue gulliger and clue gulliger was in fucking the last picture show with ben johnson and uh and uh sybil shepherd and all sorts and jeff bridges jeff bridges has been in a million fucking movies great actor to use for six degrees of separation so best actor or actress to use for six degrees of separation and give me one movie that you always rely on to get you there tarantino has a lot of actors as well you know Kurt Russell's been acting for a hundred years. So these kind of guys are great guys. Uh, character actors are always kind of the staple of these movies that uh, LQ Jones is in a million fucking movies too. So uh, who's the best actor to use for the six degrees of separation? 
there we go. We're going to hop into the update. Okay, this update is uh, fairly quick. I think uh, next week's going to be huge because it will be Cinema Wasteland. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a big update. I should have mentioned, if you guys see me at Cinema Wasteland, you're going to Cinema Wasteland, come up and say hi. If you want any questions or anything, hang out, just talk, let me know. Just uh, hit me up. So uh, first up is the 4K of Bram Stoker's Dracula. I have not seen this movie in years. And uh, I, 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 when I tried to rewatch this like five or six years ago, I was being such a baby about it. I literally was like, well, this movie's going to look freaking fantastic in 4K. I think it'll be a, a real treat. So yeah, Francis Ford Coppola. And then we have another Francis Ford Coppola movie, which is kind of crazy. Dementia 13. Uh, this is a director's cut. This is a public domain movie. Um, yeah, it's weird. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola probably was involved in everything with the uh, director's cut and everything. This is a Vestron video. Uh, kind of branching out, doing something a little bit different than what they typically do. So, yeah, I'm uh, willing to check this one out for sure. Then we have uh, Boys from County Hell. Uh, this is a Shutter exclusive. Not seen this one. Heard decent things about it mostly good things about the movie so uh why not and then we have another one violation another shutter original so i heard this one has some crazy stuff going on not not watched it but with a title like violation i can imagine that it probably does have some crazy stuff and then last is straight time with dustin hoffman from warner archive based on a true story um i think this was written uh, based on a, a book written by eddie bunker who was like a criminal, then later turned actor. He pops up in a bunch of movies. Small bit role in Miracle Mile, um, but he has a decent size. I mean, it's a smaller role in Reservoir Dogs as well, but he's in a lot of movies. Uh, you'll see him pop up in tiny little bit roles here and there. Uh, yeah, he's even in Best of the Best too. So yeah, he's just a character actor, good stuff. Anyways, this is straight time. This looks like a good movie for sure. And back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Hey. Others is great.